0: I'd like to welcome you out to another episode of the lodestone training and consulting podcast i'm jared ross and today with me
1: is chris johnson chris number two and martin the blacksmith martin glad you're here with us today honored to be here thank you
0: martin so we're gonna be talking a lot about you and, and what you do Why don't you uh, tell us a little, a little bit about yourself where, where are you from
1: you I, ri- grow up? I originally grew up in Wyoming on a small little farm outside of Casper. Uh, it was maybe 15 miles uh, east of Casper. Really? Uh, right on the North Platte River in the Toronto County, Carbon County line. Okay. Converse County line, I'm sorry.
0: I lived um, ages seven, I just turned nine, in Casper.
1: Really? What years were those? Uh, not to not to date you. Yeah, to I, I, I honestly... Like, that was I, sometime in to do the some
2: math.
0: late 70s, early 80s. Uh, well, probably like...
1: 83. 81, 82, 83? That would have put us us as neighbors and we didn't even know it. I lived there from 78 to 89.
0: Do you remember that? uh, I I still remember it. uh, I think it was a three-year-old kid who got lost up in Casper Mountain and was up there for... A couple of days, and they found him. He had made a kept his underwear on and made a shelter like out of his shirt and his pants and stuff. Do, do you remember that? Do you actually? Yeah, remember, that wild? something
1: about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, fun little fact: My mom was a sheriff's deputy on the Natrona County Sheriff's Department, and she was the bloodhound handler. Really? Yeah. Oh, so wow. I don't know if she was on that search, but in the '80s, that's what she did. That's cool. And she ran search dogs. So yeah, my mom was a cop. So,
0: you know, I um, we were just out in Utah what a week ago and on the way back that's we decided to to go up that way so we actually went up we passed um independence rock and stopped there went up to casper went to fort casper i remember being there as a kid so yeah. i showed all my kids this is fort casper yeah and then uh, yeah uh, that was cool yeah. i didn't realize you, you grew up right there in casper that's yeah cool.
1: yeah i grew up right there <laughs> went to uh, went to school in uh, glen rock um and then from there we moved to uh colorado okay uh about
0: I was gonna ask you, uh, who your friends were.
1: Oh well, yeah, that's uh, that's a fun story. So, uh, growing up as a kid in Wyoming it's a really, really rural area. We lived, uh, you know, I think it was about forty-five minute ride into school. So I didn't have like friends like yes. You, you, you have power out there? Like well, yeah, we had power. I mean, we weren't oh. on an
3: outhouse, but I mean, it was it's definitely Wyoming.
1: It's crazy because like. 1980s Wyoming was like 1960s everywhere else. Like there was the, the it was rabbit ears TV, and if there was three cha- uh, there was three channels, President was on your night was shot. Like that old Jeff Foxworthy joke. I grew up with it. It's true. Yeah. Like you didn't get a choice in what you watched. But you know, I had like schoolmates and get off the bus and we played. Uh, we I don't know if we can say that we called the game smear the queer. Nowadays I think they call it flag football. Okay. Or touch football. Yeah. We just get off the bus, beat the crap out of each other. Yeah. Real kids. Um. You know, back in those days, you'd get fist fight in school and they'd just send you back to class. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, I'd get back on the bus and go home. There's no other kids to play around with, so I had animals. You know, my best friend was a horse, and a horse actually taught me how to ride. You know, I'd, I have one of my parents that'd saddle it up for him, and then I'd crawl up there and I'd just spend all my time on the <laughs> horse. I'd be out there with that, and if nobody was there to saddle it up, I'd crawl on bare bareback. And we'd just go out, and, you know, I nice. had uh, a rope and dummy out there. and— this this little horse would let me rope off of him and then he would walk up let me pull the let me pull the rope up off of the the dummy and then he'd walk back around and would, you know, be honest it was all on the horse because i'd be more messing with my rope than paying attention to what uh-huh. the horse was doing you know and, and we grew up with horses and dogs and grew up hunting and fishing and uh, you know we're right there on the north Platte river so i grew up hunting small game grew up hunting uh, ducks and geese uh trapping coons you know, and I can remember distinctly being 11 years old and thinking that Mountain Man was still an occupation, <laughs> that you could still do that. Like, That's what you wanted to be? I wanted girl? to be Jim Bridger. Right on. Like, I totally wanted to be like one of the Mountain men. I read stories about Bill Sublet. Um, uh, there was a movie done here a while ago, uh, Revenant. Oh, yeah. 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 That's yeah. actually not the real story. No, was a good movie, but it's yeah. a good yeah. movie, but I remember reading those stories as a kid about Hugh Glass and all those, you know, all those adventures, and I thought you could really do that. You know, then when I turned teenager, got a wake-up call It doesn't really work that way, you know, but, you know, we moved off the ranch when I was 12 or 13 years old, okay. or the farm ranch, whatever you call it, um, and then we moved down to Colorado, you know, and that's, uh, that's kind of where I got into scouting. Oh, okay. So oh. You're a Boy Scout? Boy Scout? Yeah, yeah oh. I was a Boy Scout, uh, made Eagle Scout, and uh, went to Philmont. Oh, you went to Philmont? I did go to Philmont. Really? Wait, Jerry, yeah. did you
3: go to Philmont? I, I, I did. Oh. I did go to Philmont. Nice. You went,
1: did you go to Philmont? I, I did, too. You, yeah. did, you did go to I Philmont. I did.
3: Cr- hey, Chris? Chris? Chris. Chris? Chris? I'm, I'm sorry. I,
2: I just zoned out there. <laughs> did you go to Philmont? I, no.
0: Oh, okay. So you're, no. you're the only one? yeah
1: okay yeah that's alright so,
0: so how impactful and how important was Philmont to you and in, 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 in your upbringing
1: uh paramount yeah uh, absolutely paramount I can't I really no, can't I'm remember. sorry
0: and I, I know you're being serious and, and yeah. I do want to hear this but just think of everything that, that you missed out on. You know, <laughs> so,
3: it's, it, it's amazing so that, blue that blue I was face. able to
0: become a Green
2: Beret. This, this, it
0: really she is. Successful is. In life. This, this is Without Martin's, this this is Martin's so class. <laughs> this, this is Martin's story.
3: Oh, he's so boo-boo face right now. <laughs> uh. So
0: again, <laughs> how
1: impactful and how important was film to you? Hey, it, absolutely, it was. It was paramount to uh, my character building as a child. You know, uh, that. 10 12 miles a day you know 90 miles in a week your feet hurt Um, there was one day i got altitude sickness had to suck it up keep walking you know just being able to come overcome those daily obstacles you know but there's also something else in there because it's Philmont that dropped a seat of blacksmithing in me oh really so you know we're like three days into the hike and uh, we come up to one of the because every night you stay at a different place in Fiuman. It's it's the yeah. idea behind it. You know one of the places we stayed had a blacksmithing shop on it. Well, up until that point, the only blacksmithing I'd ever seen was horseshoers, farriers. Mm-hmm. Right, and I knew I didn't want to spend my whole life, you know, putting shoes on a horse. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even think about blacksmithing. But I'm. We hike up to this place and you know, and and uh, everybody's tired. Just want to get your packs off. And there's this old guy out there, and he's just tinking away. You know hammering away at I don't remember what he was working on. I was just absolutely enamored. Absolutely. And the next day, we're all supposed to go and, and climb something. I don't remember what we're supposed to do. And I made an excuse. All right, I want to stay here. I don't want to go hike. I've climbed enough hills. I want to stay here and hang out with this guy. And I spent a couple of hours just hanging out with him. And it really planted a seed, you know, watching this guy work. And what spoke to me the most was his attitude. He was happy. <laughs> he was smiling. I'd never seen anybody enjoy their work before. Yeah, You know, everybody else is just, you know, stern face and force your way through it. And this guy, you know, that's all he wanted to do. And it just, it really kind of planted a seed in me. So, Cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: So you, you said you got your Eagle? Right?
1: I did. Yeah, I did earn my Eagle. I believe that was in 92.
0: Do you remember what your, we well, of course you remember. What, what was your project?
1: My project was the mezzanine the upper level of the Dinosaur Museum in Grand Junction Colorado I completely renovated it really yeah oh that's cool yeah nice. they turned it into a little classroom area or something but went in there and had a whole uh, had the whole troop help just completely redid the whole thing painting yeah. uh, carpentry you know just a you know, little bit dabbling in the trades you
0: know? that's pretty cool
1: yeah.
0: so you were also a Marine or you are a Marine I should say once a Marine always a Marine
1: once a Marine always a Marine there's a uh, you know there's something I want to say about that too Um, This whole ex-Marine thing, a lot of people don't understand it. You know, and I I realize uh, it's outside looking in when you earn your crossed rifles. At some point in boot camp, you earn your crossed rifles. And for everybody, it's different. I know uh, my rack mate, uh, he earned his crossed rifles on the range. I mean, he really had to suck it up, and he only qualified marksman. Hmm. Like one shot left to go, but that was his moment for me it was bayonet training you know we're a couple weeks in you know and, and you're starting to learn your aggression they're starting to like you know uh, really get it in your head so we're all sitting in formation and they give us all you know uh they're basically you call them ducks uh dummy rifles with a yeah, bayonet yeah attached. rubber ducks, rubber ducks yeah, yeah rubber ducks okay and they get us all lined up and we're right up against the airport you know it's mcrd san diego so every five minutes there's a plane screaming by. And your job is to yell louder than the plane. Right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, they've got us all ranked up, and there's a podium up there. And there's two or three instructors on top, and they're all teaching a stab-twist-pull. And they're looking at us, and everybody's just raw, screaming their heads out. Well, I'm already spent. I'm tired. I didn't eat get much for breakfast, and I'm mad. Like, I don't even want to be here today. And I'm doing this, and I just quit yelling. You know, and I'm looking at the drill instructor. He's up there on the top of the podium. And I'm staring right at his chest with the ugliest look I can muster and just like the biggest war face. And I'm just breathing. I'm not screaming anymore. Yeah, yeah. And he's looking at everybody and he looks down. And he points at me. He says, you get up here. And he pulled me to the front. And he said, you keep doing that. So I did. And I kept doing that. And he pulled me to the front so nobody else could hear. I wasn't yelling. I was just breathing through it. <sighs> and he pulled me aside and he's like that that's what I want to see and that was the only compliment I ever got out of boot camp that was the only (laughs) that was like that was but that was my moment Uh uh-huh Where okay now I get it I understand what it takes to be a Marine you have to be able to go just a little further than Mm -hmm. everybody else yeah you know, and it it was kind of my ownership moment, but yeah, and every Marine has that moment somewhere in boot camp where you cross that line and there's no coming back. Yeah, you know, it's I I like to think it's where we earn our honor.
0: Yeah, that's really cool, and that is that is so true. You know, yeah, yeah. and that's yeah, that's something that you can't teach, you can't you you know lead someone that that that's an individual thing that only that individual can can finally come to that moment and come to that that realization and yeah and do that have that experience cool thank you for sharing that uh so what did you uh what did you do in the marine corps
1: i was motor transport mechanic okay yeah i uh i was uh kind of uh, i joined they said pick three things and i uh i uh, uh i think i picked an infantry mos uh uh I know I didn't want tanker or Amtrak. I didn't like the, I'm six foot five and being stuck in a sardine can just didn't sound <laughs> yeah. good. I wanted like a field finish. MOS. Uh-huh. I think I went for COM, and I put motor T down or mechanic or something. I don't remember what I put down. But when I did the ASVAB, my mechanical scores were off the charts. So straight to motor T I went and it was actually the best thing that could have happened for me because yeah. I went through, when you go, uh, I don't know if it's the same as, as it was. I mean, we're talking 27 years ago now. Yeah uh but i went through and in motor t school for the mechanics you get licensed for at that time it was the humvee the uh 813 the 923 and the mk48 dragon wagon so i got licensed for all of them and learned how to work on all of them except the uh i didn't go to school for the dra- they called the dragon master school back then i didn't go to school for that but i ended up working on them anyways hmm. so i could drive and wrench anything the marine corps had funny part about that about the only thing a Marine Corps mechanic, well, in the motor pool I was in, man, oil pan candy, oil pan changes, oil pan gaskets, constant. I swear we're doing five or six of them a week. It's like that's all we did, and CV joints, and it was like you were a parts changer. Yeah. You know, so every chance we got to go to the field or get deployed, you're sticking your hand in the air just to get out of the motor pool. Yeah. You know, and that was where some of my favorite adventures in the Corps were, was when I got loaned out to other units. Because when you're in motor pool, you're attached to headquarters battalion. Right? So you're in the rear with a gear until one of the forward units needs a truck. So like, you know. Most of the time, the mechanics don't get to go do that. Yeah. So, like, I was quick to volunteer, man. Get me on the field. I want to go do <laughs> something. Which landed me a hell of a lot of guard duty. <laughs> yeah. Hell of a lot of guard like duty. Someone's got full guard duty. Yep. Like,
3: didn't a mechanic show up? Yeah. yeah. That
1: guy. Yeah. Well, yeah. He didn't go on patrol last night. He can do a couple hours of guard duty while everybody else sleeps. I,
2: I don't know how it was for you guys, but I've had some really squared away mechanics that you're in a team house. You're already limited numbers. That guy, I don't care if he's smart. We can you know one and one makes two i'm going to use him yeah and i've had some great guys that we turned them into drivers and we were in some some thick situations and they performed and you know people will be oh was just a mechanic that doesn't mean anything you know it's all about where you've been and what you've you've been exposed to uh have one individual that I would say something about him right now, but he's in another unit right now that's doing some really good stuff. And he started his career as, you know, a 88 Mike motor transport. Yeah. yeah,
0: Cool. Very true. So how long were you in the Corps?
1: I have four years. I got out in 98.
0: Okay. And
1: what did you do after that? Well, um, I needed a job and a place to live, uh, Tr- did security work for about six weeks. Um, burned out on that real quick. Figured out that you know guard duty for the rest of my life you know, wasn't <laughs> wasn't gonna work. Uh, tried uh, working in a transmission shop for a couple of weeks. Didn't like that either. Didn't like being closed up like that. And then uh, ended up going to U.S. TDS truck driving school. And in three weeks and three thousand dollars later that I didn't have, thank you credit cards, uh, crawled in the cab of a big truck and I had a job and a place to live. And I used the it was the company address was my mailing address for over two years and i was i don't like to say homeless because you have a bed in the truck and it's a house on wheels but i was very much nomadic you know yeah you know truthfully i was homeless for about two two and a half years didn't have anywhere else to be you know i was you know had an ex-wife a couple of kids to take care of pay for you know so it was a necessity but if it wasn't for the training that i got in the marine corps i would have got out of the corps with no job and nothing Because I was a trained mechanic, because I was a trained driver, I had something to fall back on. Yeah, you know, so it really kind of saved me. That's good. Yeah, Yeah.
2: I think the last maybe year and a half, we've all realized how much we depend on uh, our our trucking infrastructure. Oh yeah, and I mean, it's something that we take for granted. Now, you and I are both from the West, you know, Mm -hmm. other side of the Mississippi, where things are a little bit bigger. how big of a truck did you drive i mean out in utah those of you that don't know so utah montana those areas some of these trucks are like trains they've got three trailers on them it's i've it, seen two but yeah three. so That's like incredible. they'll they'll have in utah they'll have you know here you'll have the two uh short trailers yeah out there they'll have the uh two long trailers or they'll have up to three of the shorts wow yeah, yeah, yeah. so how,
1: how big were you uh hauling around in so, uh, the best way to answer that question is sequentially. Um, I first started out in a uh, uh, tractor trailer, we call it reefer hauling. Um, no, not the type you smoke, it's oh. a refrigerated. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, you had kids to pay I for, I understand. You're I mean, in Colorado, you know, I, I mean, mean yeah, yeah, I figured. Yeah, no. But uh, no, we, uh, I first started off in refrigerated hauling, and uh, it was hauling meat. Uh, out of Greeley uh, and then most of my runs were coming back east here it was a 53 foot trailer running about 80,000 pounds average uh, did that for about a year and then I uh, moved into doing a flatbed work running a 48 foot flatbed that got me into doing step deck work which is a lowered flatbed for doing heavy equipment and then from there I went into a detached trailer specifically for heavy equipment so my average trailer was running about 50 foot long but it was the width. I was one of the guys that took the whole road up. I was running uh, my last couple of years doing heavy haul. I was running 14 and 16 wide. Uh, The big uh, cat frames, uh, I'd take them out of uh, Keene Transportation's yard in central Illinois, haul them down to the Mexican border, drop them off, wait a day, pick up a completed chassis and haul it back up. Uh, It's all permitted loads. Um, You deal a lot with the cops, a lot with the DOT, but you get to run slower. And, uh, you know, your average driver when I was hauling now, refrigerated.
0: what do you mean by you get to deal with the cops? And
1: uh, You deal with the cops a lot when you're driving truck, just period. Um, they're the enforcement agent. But when you're heavy hauling, you have to go to them. You have to deal directly with them because you have to get the permits to run the specific roads. Gotcha. So let's say we want to go from here to uh, Pittsburgh. Okay. We'd have to contact Pennsylvania DOT, tell them, hey, I've got a 16 wide and 15 high, oversized load coming through. What roads will you let me go down? And you have to get their permission to get, you know, so it allows them to verify what bridge weight. If you're too heavy to cross any bridges, are you too tall to fit under a bridge, you know? And I did, you know, work like that for years before uh i think it was about 8 diesel prices by that time i owned my own trucks i owned my own uh, tractor and trailer and uh diesel prices shot up to about 4.25 a gallon yeah and uh an old friend of mine uh we were kids together was hauling uh oil uh out of the oil field into the refinery in colorado and talked to him about it he was actually making more money as a company driver than i was as a heavy all-owner operator so I went and talked to his boss about it, and I ended up parking my own truck because, you know, diesel, four twenty five a gallon when you're paying it out of pocket. That, that takes food off the table pretty quick. Yeah. And went and talked to him, turned out to be a le- legitimate job, and I spent five years in the oil field working six days a week, 16-hour days. Whoa. But I got to be home every day. You know, so, and that was the big thing right there is right about that time, you know, right about 08, my wife decided that she wanted to have a baby. And I had already experienced watching kids grow up in pictures. So I said, okay, if you want to have a baby, I need to be home every night. I want to, I want to be actually be there. Let's do this right. You know, and that's kind of what we did. We went moved back to Colorado. I took a local job, be home every night. And to be honest with you, that was the first time in my life, or the first time that my wife and I, I was a long hauler. I was gone for three or four weeks at a time, home for a couple of days. And all of a sudden, I'm home every day she couldn't wait for me to go to work
3: (laughs) we know the feeling
1: yeah yeah it's you know so we had to get used to each other again and you know uh my daughter was born a year later you know and just kept working that for about five years and then i burned out yeah 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 that would have been about uh yeah that would have been about 14 15 about the same time I met you okay. I started looking for other things to do yeah you know but well how long you
0: know you were exposed you said in Philmont to, mm-hmm. to blacksmithing so when did you start to, to pick it up that was
1: actually in 08 when I first okay. moved back to Colorado because all of a sudden I had free time you know I'm, I'm working you know I have like six days of work and then I get two days off and halfway through the first day I didn't know what to do with myself
0: so for years, you're going nonstop, 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 nonstop. And, and I'm sure now, all of a sudden, free time. Yeah, that would drive a person nuts. I so, did. I, had, yeah.
1: I uh, you know, and and for like the first month and a half, I was just in Colorado by myself. My wife was closing down the house in Illinois, so I'm trying to fix up the place. So I first just busied myself fixing up the house. You know, yep. get it ready for the wife to come. And then all of a sudden, she's there, so don't need to do that anymore. And uh, I went, like, two or three weeks just bored out of my mind. Like, I don't (laughs) want to watch TV. I don't want to play. I'm not into that stuff. Look into things to tinker with. And then uh, uh, I'm just going to drop his name. My buddy Corey calls me up. He says, hey, I'm going to this uh, 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 beginner blacksmith class at the Littleton Heritage Museum. And I'm like, Really? I'm coming with you. And he's like, "Well, but but I'm like, "No, nah, I'm going." Where is it? And I invited myself to go with it. And uh we go to the class together and uh you know, we get to Tankern and it's like a really cool. If you never get a chance go over uh if you haven't got a chance or go through Colorado, check out that Littleton Historical Society. They have a beautiful blacksmithing shop there. It's truly accurate. So we go in there, and you know we're we're forging for the first time, and I'm working on a propane fire, and all we're making is like a little hook that goes over the door to hold it. But I did really good; like it looked really awesome. And then I'm still at have the hook. I do still have that <laughs> hook. <laughs> I awesome. do. Yes. It's actually it's hanging on it's hanging on my daughter's door. Um, I taught her how to make them too. <laughs> and then you know my buddy Corey made one up, and you know and, and we're sitting there tinkering with it, and you know he he kind of he liked it, but it didn't really light his fire. You know. But mine was totally mine the spark was ignited this is awesome I can beat on it and it's okay this is fun you know and then it became my outlet because uh you know of course first thing I did I'm driving home I stopped by Harbor Freight I buy a hundred dollar cheap anvil you know, it's a 110 pound Russian cast you can't even get these things anymore so I buy it and I go home and I think it was over a couple of days I uh took a wheelbarrow and uh, I think it was a hairdryer took a wheelbarrow and a hairdryer and I made a forge out of it <laughs> and I've got like this 15 pound bag of coal that I bought from the feed store and like the first thing I made I burned it like completely burned it up
2: <laughs>
1: and then I slowed down and I thought about it I'm like what do I want to make well I need new stirrups for my saddle you know and at the time I, I was uh, working with somebody else that owned horses and you know just uh, there's something I can make I'll try to put new stirrups on my saddle you know And uh, I made, I drew it out, and I made a really nice pair of Oxbow uh, stirrups for my saddle. They weigh like two pounds each. They're huge. They're heavy. (laughs) And I still have them. They're leather covered, and they're hanging on a wall in my house. You know, it's just one of the first things I made. They suck. They're covered in leather because they suck. Like, they're horrible looking. (laughs) But it's awesome because I look at it, and I'm like, yeah, I made that. It took me all weekend, but I did that, and I did it because I wanted to. You know and it, it just kept kind of fueling the passion and then over time it was uh i was doing that i was driving truck i was helping people fixing their cars i was helping you know doing carpentry work it just all became too much it just got to the point where i was getting like two or three hours of sleep everybody else is happy you know but i'm miserable yeah I'm like burning out at a rapid rate. My health started declining. I think it was, uh, was about 15 that uh, I couldn't breathe. Couldn't understand what was going on. Now, you got to keep in mind, when you're hauling in the oil field, you are breathing in hazardous materials constantly. Right? You, uh, you get to this oil field location, and you go up a staircase, and the first thing you got to do is pop the hatch on it to see if there's anything in there. And When you do that, it's pressurized, so all that benzene, all that, uh, you know, and they don't like to say it's in there, but it's in there, hydrogen sulfide and all these other nasty things that are in there that can kill you, you're getting a lung full of it, right? Over time, it just deteriorates you. Uh, And, you know, in the oil field, it's about a five-year burnout rate. You know, that's about as long as most oil field drivers make it before they got to go to do something else. Mm -hmm. Because of health deterioration, I would love to see the statistics on actual health compared to the burnout rate, you know, but I mean, that's an EPA OSHA problem. I took it, you know, as my problem. How am I going to fix this? So I go to the doctor. And doctor tells me stage 3 COPD, start making plants. She just writes me off. I'm 20 pounds underweight, not breathing right. She just totally writes me off. I remember wow. distinctly driving home and thinking my story doesn't end this way. I'm not going out like this you know and it it kind of I don't want to say it it lit a fire I want to say it made me cut sling load I had to start cutting sling load I had to start realizing that it can't be everything for everyone and I had to find the one thing that lit my fire the one thing I was passionate about and drop everything else and I had to just kind of let it all go let it all fall off and I think it was it was about 2016 when I went all in. Yeah. Yeah, it was, January, I think it was January, February 2016. I kind of closed myself off to the whole world for about a month, six weeks, and just really like focus, think, plan. What are we gonna do? How am I gonna do it? How am I gonna get there? What does it look like day to day? And then I asked myself a wonderful question. What the hell does a blacksmith do every day? <laughs> How does that look like, really? And uh, to figure it out, I had to go into the old blacksmithing journals from the 1800s. Yeah, and I started reading them, and and I'm you know, and what I was looking for is an expectation. How much should I expect for myself? Is is one axe a day reasonable? Is one axe a week reasonable? Is should I be making more or less? You know, the and and what I what I do what I discovered was that being self-taught is doing your apprenticeship in hell because you don't know when you're done. You have no sense of completion. Well, you, you don't have anything to no compare mentor?
0: it to, and you don't have that, that mentor saying, oh, okay, now you've reached it,
1: now you can go, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So then you do it, and then you do it again. And it's a little better than the last time you did it. Oh, I still have the very first axe, and I enjoyed the very first axe I bought from you, but the quality,
0: what you're producing now, you really make that thing, you know, looks pretty pretty sad in comparison if, if you don't want me saying no, that. no i
1: not at all yeah. I, I appreciate that because well, we, that... we actually had
2: that kind of conversation on the way here about how it's nice to be able to look back and see where you came
1: from mm-hmm. oh absolutely because like from 08 to 15 16 i made like stock removal hatchets and i was making forged hatchets but i wouldn't sell them you know i, w- I would make a stock removal hatchet and i would use a temper i would use a uh, uh it was actually a uh, uh not clay, like ceramic. It was a okay. ceramic kiln, and I would use that to get the heat treat temperatures just right because I hadn't learned the colors yet. I was still learning, you know, how to how to do it raw and how to do it natural. So I was still very much relying on that, uh, the computer in the uh, uh, ceramic oven to get the temper uh, to get the hardening temperature just right, to get the temper temperature just right. You know, and all the Rogers hatchets that I made, mm-hmm. um, that little bitty pocket hatchet. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, my uh, my one son before the life fighter challenge
0: is like i have a knife but aren't we like making processing you know he being my son he, he he knew we were processing wood for for you know to start the fire so i can can i bring that hatchet he actually had one of your roger's hatchets. like no you get that's that's cheating that well, he could have brought it i wouldn't let him yeah. use it <laughs> I, I had a few people that were like i have
2: a hatchet in my pack can i use it no <laughs> you were told a knife
1: that's awesome. Those uh, yeah, those little hatchets were all done on the oven, you know. And I was still—I didn't trust myself. I'd, I'd already broken a couple of hawks that I had thrown. Mm-hmm. I actually, uh, matter of fact, it was one of the events you and I did together in Colorado, okay, uh, back in fourteen, um, where I had an axe throwing booth set up. Yeah, and I had made one of those uh, little hatchets for one of the other uh, uh, semi celebrities that okay. had attended. Yeah. And he, and after me telling him, don't throw that, it's whole heat treated, don't throw it, he pitched it at the target, hit another axe, and broke it. <laughs> but what I realized that. Metal right doesn't there, break. <laughs> okay, that, yeah, thank you. Yes, it does. Uh, but what I realized right there is, okay, it doesn't matter what I give these guys, they're going to throw it. So oh, yeah. I need to, I really yeah. got to get good at this. I got to get the, the hardening and the tempering. I really got to get good because. I'm promoting throwing axes, so no matter what I make, they're gonna throw it. Yeah. So it was a huge wake-up call for me.
0: That just uh, sparked a, a question. That, well, where did we first meet? Was
1: that at an event in up in New England? It, that... w- yeah, I believe it was an event in New England that I was invited to, uh-huh. and uh, the first time I, uh, I saw Jared. Well, uh, was this 13? This would've been 14. 14, okay. Yeah, it would've been 14. Uh, so the first time I see Jared, He's uh, head down in an ammo can. There's probably maybe thirty, forty loose rounds in the bottom of it, and he's taking pictures. And I'm just watching him. You know, he has no idea who I am at the time. You know, I'm a nobody. You know, and he looks up, smiles, and says "Art," and runs off. <laughs> you know, and it just—I looked oh, at that. I'm like, "This is really good. Uh-huh. I like this." Yeah, you know, he's—he's—he saw the collateral beauty. He saw, you know the the art in the instant and he was just all about it and his eyes were all lit up and he was excited and he was just happy to be alive and happy to be there I'm like I like this dude <laughs> this dude's got a fire in him I like this and I just kind of hung out and watched his class I actually participated mm-hmm. in uh, one of your classes there I ran a drill yeah uh, with one of your you know and it was the first time I ever took instruction from you
0: yeah oh that was yeah again I was invited up there to to help at this
2: was this wow. the one where you had to fix all the AKs because they tried to make them into not AKs? Yes that 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 is the that is the place. I am just trying to get Chris going on about how much he loves the AK yeah. platform. All right, no, we, no we, comment.
0: We, <laughs> we, we we can we we can go. Uh, but yes, I was invited <laughs> up to that event. I was helping to run, you know, one of the one of the ranges and stuff. And yeah, I remember remember safetying you or watching you as you you went through one of the runs. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. I guess we just started corresponding then and then we decided we we're gonna collaborate and put together a, an event out, at, out by you
1: yeah yeah we put uh we put together a, a little uh a little shindig out there did a little training uh it was uh field medical uh did really well received yeah um had a lot of fun with that
0: yeah and yeah, we did that it was what close was it um last chance somewhere around there, the we first time? The first the sec- time,
1: yeah, the first time we did it uh, at a farm out in Last Chance, and, and then we did it, was a year, a year and a half? I think it was right? a, a year later. Yeah, about a year later, we yeah. went down and did it at Dragon Man's yeah, in Colorado Color Springs. Yeah, Colorado Springs, yeah. Yeah. That was wild. That was a wild shoot. That was, yeah, that guy's a character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember,
0: we're, we're setting up, we're getting ready to teach, and then he comes, from coming out with a, a Jeep, and he's like, you know, something, I don't remember what he was. He said to us, how he referred to us, but like, you got your Green Berets? And I'm like, yeah. Well, can can you give me a hand? He had the Ma that he owned, and like I don't, I forget headspace or timing was wrong. Was a headspace on it? Yeah. yeah,
1: the headspace, and we couldn't get it figured out. Yeah,
0: so well, I I sicked um, another another guy, uh,
2: Doc Peterson on My that. favorite Ma Deuce. Yeah. Gun number two on truck one was always a, was a three click. Oh yeah, and I loved that three click uh-huh. gun. Some of you out there are like, I know what he's talking about. I know exactly yep. how sweet that
0: gun would have been. Yep. Yeah. Th- these uh not, not anymore since oh. they have those, you know, oh, made you it up. Barrel, you huh? just had to ruin my day. I know. Right? Okay. All right. So, yeah, and th- that was fun. It was really fun working with you, getting to know you, and uh, you just quickly became, you know, part of the family, good friend.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah we just kind of— yeah it would, but it wasn't like an overnight thing it was just a slow progression yeah. we worked together a couple of times before you know our, our kind of friendship just built yeah yeah
0: you know? and uh i mean i got a couple of your axes and really enjoyed them started passing them around and, and showing them off a shoot i uh for a couple of just to be ridiculous not not to be taken serious but just to be ridiculous um i had uh our friend viper uh fiber holster they made a sheath for one of the axes that you gave me and then what we did is we had it designed so that it would fit on the back of my uh, my cry body armor and then so it would fit in place but then i could still put stuff on on the back of it if i needed to you know whatever but then i could pull the thing down so i as a again to be ridiculous i wore that a couple of times while i was instructing cephalic <laughs> some of the other gbs are like who is this crazy guy he was a knucklehead and other guys are like, oh that's so cool he, he, you know how <laughs> yeah you got the gambit that's right yeah so yeah that was, that was fun
1: fun yeah, showing that thing off i remember yeah. you showing me that rig when you first put it together yeah. and you're talking about it you had to, there was some you were doing something got hung up one time with it with a handle or something you were oh. getting out of a vehicle or something you yeah yeah. About it. yeah 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 this it's one of the hardest things to do is figure out how to put an ax in your pack. That's
0: right. You, you, know, you know what I've, I've, you've seen me at, and yep. you guys listening, you've seen me at uh, some of the classes, well, not the shooting classes necessarily, but the SUT classes, or when we're out in the woods, I usually have, uh, I think the one I've defaulted to now is actually a tomahawk that you made for me. And I have a beaner, so I connect the beaner to my belt as well as to uh, a belt loop and it hangs off to my side so and again i'm just watching vikings uh, the show like does that work or, or is it stupid and you know, just want to try it so i just use that thing at, like they're using like a, the brass ring mm-hmm. and just slide a thing down there and it's comfortable it's out of the way it's, it's functional i haven't yet swung my arm and sliced myself on on on, on the blade yet yeah. and though that might happen in the future but it's just a convenient and easy place to, to stow it and pull the thing out when i need to and yeah i, yeah. I kind of dig carrying it that way
1: that's perfect. That's yeah. a good way to do it. Yeah, you know, that, that's an interesting
2: point you bring up there. Sometimes we just need to look back at history and see how things were done. Uh, when we start to try and do things, you know, strapping an axe to our back in in getting in out of a helicopter. <laughs> when, when you first started talking about your rig, uh, one of the silliest captains I've ever known. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a sister ODA we were doing a, a big huge hit they were hitting one house we were hitting another village uh, we were doing all simultaneous trying to take down the same network he had this ridiculous like I don't know it was, it was the cold steels, you know $42 special uh,
1: Chinese yeah. axe. Yeah,
2: the tactical tact yeah and hatchet. it was it was sticking out of his kit. It was so awkward, and I guess he got hung up on the blackhawk trying to get off, and they had to like end up cutting the the uh, the seat, no, to, to they, free him oh. so he could get off. And so it was like this big joke for the longest time. You know, there's a difference between tactical,
0: mm-hmm. tactical, and tactic stupid. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that was definitely. Well, 100%. when I was running around. Uh, a couple of times it was only when we were working in the house and we were in body armor at safalic at again that was that was more for for laughs than 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 anything for serious and that's actually why i i, I did it for like one maybe two classes why i stopped because too many people like were thinking i was, it was serious this is how i'm going into battle with this big thing hanging off when my head. i uh, when i
2: first showed up to group there was in alpha company i was in bravo company there was a individual that when he showed up to his team he said uh, how do you guys feel about tertiary weapons? And everyone's like, yeah, of course you should have a blade on you, you know. And then shows up to the first range, and he had two katanas.
0: <laughs> you told me about that guy. Like, like
2: some sort of G.I. Joe or something. Wait. Does he, he have a grudge against 160th? No, he does not. Oh, okay, Or okay. did I know? Oh, yeah. I know. I, I Maybe I better, I, he was I ninja. Better, Yeah, I better check up on this. Um, he was also the individual that at one point uh, was walking around with two... 1911s. Oh my gosh! Um, on his right side, because you know, well, it only has a ten-round magazine,
0: and it's so much faster to drop a pistol and draw a second one than
2: it is to reload, yes, right? Yes,
0: yes, yeah. and uh, it, it was one of those things where not all MOSs are 18
2: bravos. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, it, it was just it was a great time to uh, show up because you know when you have people that make those kind of mistakes. Everyone's talking about it. like, oh, okay, well, so I gotta, I, uh, you know, you point one finger, three come back at you. I used to carry a warhammer. <laughs> um, you can ask uh, our friend that uh, I, we both know. I, I think I saw a
0: picture of that. Yeah,
2: uh, they they called it the Mormon mallet. Oh yeah, yeah. I threw it through a window on a on a uh, training mission. There wasn't supposed to be like, in, like in the like house. Like Thor. Like Thor. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right uh, through the window. Right through the window. And uh, there was it was uh, Plias. And there wasn't supposed to be out four in the first house, you know, Yeah. but the support kit, because we were supposed to blow the door. And so there were, it was a safety thing. No one was supposed to be in there. Well, the support kit, when he was told no one can be in there, he's like, oh, well, I'm going to be there. So when they you know, hit the first house, I'll surprise him. And so uh, this hammer goes flying like inches from his face. And he realized, oh, there was a reason why. Unfortunately, that happened. So he ran away before the door blew. Um, oh, so you saved his life. I, I, well, I may have saved some splinters. Yeah, know. it was okay. a small charge. Oh, but, okay. Um, yeah, so cool. three fingers pointed back at me. I carried a warhammer. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> Never in combat, though, only in training. Yeah. So we got to know each other, started doing some stuff, collaborating. Uh, I think probably about that time was um, after that second event, I started tinkering with the idea of, well, I've, I've got some ideas. I, I have some designs I you know, would like to do. And, you know, we kind of worked on and off uh, f- from them.
1: Yeah, I think the, the first one we worked on was the Rockwell razor. Yeah. Um, that, uh, you know, really beautiful piece. It was your, it was a napkin drawing, if yeah. I remember right. Yeah, I, I sketched so. it out on a napkin, and we went back and forth. And uh, I got held up on that project for a while. It took me a while to get that one done. And then uh, it's progressed into what the Light Fighter is now. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So you know, it's and that's something we we've talked about it on Instagram posts before. That Jared and I've been working on the light fighter knife <laughs> concept for like four or five years. That's because it's really hard to get us both in the same room to talk about it, <laughs> to actually sit down and you know he'll uh-huh. he'll send me a drawing and then I'll work on it and like a month later, he'll get the the product and we'll talk two or three weeks later and then uh, you know another month or two goes by mm-hmm. and it's just the way it works out. So so tell us a little bit about well i don't know where to start
0: tell us about your your process with uh with actually creating at the forge
1: okay um how about i just walk you through it yeah please okay so uh i work predominantly from recycled steels i like to use automotive steels um military industrial grade uh record bars um i believe uh the army calls them tanker bars yeah, uh, it's a big know, pry bar yep. with square on one end and around on the other. Oh, that's beautiful steel. <laughs> that is really good steel. Um, I cut those up into sections. So let's let's take a tanker bar for example. I'll cut it into a five-inch section, and it's about an inch and an eighth around. Um, I used to do this all by hand. I would split it by I would split the eye by hand, and it would take me like seven or eight heats just to get the eye opened up, and then it'd be another ten or twenty heats to get it to shape, and then you know. 20 or 30 heats and a heat is every time I put it in the fire and bring it back out you know so we're talking like 50 heats to get one axe done when I first started it took me like two days of pounding to get this done I've progressed to the point now where I have machines so I you know I earned my power hammer a couple years ago uh, I was able to earn up uh, a friend of mine helped me get it um, was able to earn up a uh, hydraulic press from coal iron works uh, I've got the 12 ton absolutely love that little machine Um, So now, when I go into work, I'll cut up that one section, and I turn on my coal iron works press, and I punch the eye with just one shot, one heat. How long have you you had that? When did you get that one? I just got that one this year. This year? Yeah, that was this spring's purchase. Okay. Yeah.
0: And prior to that, did you, it was all by hand? All by hand. Yeah, because that's, last what did I do? When was that? That was two years ago, 19? Mm-hmm. I think it was early 2019. I went out and I, I taught the um, uh, fed agency. I ran a couple of days of classes. I think it was in Colorado Springs where I did that. Yeah. And uh, so I spent a day with you. I forget it was before That's or after. That's right. I forgot and, about that. Yeah. man, you know, I was fighting hard to keep the game face to let you know I was tough, too. But you were like... <laughs> You at first you kind of showed me and you held my hand while I was working right, on yeah. that on that axe, you know, forging my own thing. And then then it, you left it up to me. You took the training wheels off, and I lasted a whole five six minutes. And then I think I was about done. I might oh, have I, I might have faked it a little bit longer. I, and then I, you I, like had sympathy. Okay, now you're you're getting weak. and okay, you know, I, re- I'm I, remember, it. I remember. I yeah. remember
1: what happened here. So so by that time I'd already had a power hammer and that. That's, uh, it, it's not really a one trick pony, but I use it that way. It's what I use to find uh-huh. out the blades, you know, and I was still shaping the eye completely by hand by that. Yeah. You know, and that takes a lot of work and it was about five or six heats. Not okay. Oh, half oh. an hour, 45 minutes. Heats, not not it five heats. or six minutes? not okay. five or six minutes, but you lasted about five or six heats swinging a... You know, <laughs> it, felt, fair. it felt like five
0: or six hours. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it
1: did. Um, but you were also swinging a six-pound hammer. Uh-huh. All right, so a, a normal forging hammer weighs, you know, three pounds, a four-pound hammer. Oh, really heavy. so you were setting me up for success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I didn't give you the John Henry. You didn't have a nine-pounder. No. So, you know, but but that six-pounder will wear you out pretty quick. And then I remember looking at him, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself he looks like he's hurting. Like, his, his eyes were starting to droop. You know, his color was fading a little bit. Uh-huh. I'm like, he looks like he's hurting. I was like, would you like to hit fast forward? We can use the power hammer. And he's like, yeah, I think yeah, we'll that, hit fast forward. Yeah, that's probably forward. good. Let's hit fast forward. Save me some of my dignity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's and it's the heat that, you know, you don't, you don't expect it. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'm self-conscious about it, and everybody was really awesome to me about it this weekend. But, like, this weekend, we're out in the woods with you guys. Everybody else is walking around in T-shirts. I've got a wool hat and a hoodie on. (laughs) Like, I'm used to it being 115 degrees. They're all like, oh, it's wonderful. It's 65 degrees. I'm teeth chattering, freezing my butt off. You know, so, you know, you're getting spent standing in Uh the fort. It's 110 degrees in there, man. It's it's going to get you.
0: And another thing, another excuse Mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, I'm used to the, what are we at here? 450, 500 feet? Oh, yeah. And and, and what elevation
1: are you at? Uh, Shops at 6,000. There there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And
2: if you don't realize, that is seriously no joke. Yeah. I mean... That will put a hurt
0: in on you. I'll take any excuses I can you get. get. <laughs> we'll I'll give you that
2: one.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna give you the flip side of that because I've been a little heady since I've been here. Yeah. And down here, you know, four or five hundred feet when I'm used to being at five, six thousand feet. Too much O. I got way too much oxygen. You know, I'm little <laughs> yeah. light headed. You know, chest is a little, you know, a little light up top. I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice down here. You know? I can I'm run a marathon. Yeah. Like yeah, like I had, you know, right, I had you plenty of energy. Yeah. Like even even walking around out there, I had yeah. no problems. Just yeah, I'm doing really good. Yeah. Yeah. This is a little, a little lightheaded, but yeah. There's a, a
3: reason the Olympic Training Center is In up there. Colorado yeah. Springs, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. You don't when you live at that altitude, you don't think about it, and then you come down, you know, get down to lower elevation, you feel pretty good.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, most people when they uh, they think of blacksmithing, you know, we have the the Disney cartoon image, you know, heat something up, one hit, you know, one pound, you know, it's you've got that edge formed you're talking you have power tools that you're yes. utilizing now um, how long does it take to make an actual good axe for you
1: great question so now using my equipment yes you know I'll go back to what we started with there and you know I'll take that five inch section or four inch section depending on whether I'm making a hatchet axe or a tomahawk and you know
0: before you I want to hear this explanation but before you do that I want to uh, and correct me if I'm wrong one of the things that you've done is you have gone back to old documents, you know, 100, 200, 300, you've even looked so further back, Thousand. seen how they do things, figured that out, mm-hmm. and then like, okay, that's the technique, this is what works, and then you've taken modern machinery, reproduced the same thing that they're doing, but only, you're a lot faster now because, you know, of electricity, and because you actually right. have those tools, but you're not doing anything necessarily different, you're just doing it now much more effectively, sorry much more efficiently than than what they were capable of doing
1: absolutely you know and and that's thank you for bringing that up because that's one of the that's one of the uh the lanes that i try to stay in uh with my blacksmithing is i very much anchor my roots in historical blacksmithing architecture uh i'm not architecture construction i don't i'm not interested in how the guy in new york does it today i want to know how the guy in Rural Germany did it a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the acts that really kind of started my, my path on that is the Franciscan, you know, and that's from 400 AD. You know, how they constructed that, how they did that, led me to where I'm doing it now, you know, trying to figure it out. It's like we were talking earlier, Chris, yeah. about that show Forged in Fire. And, you know, I really don't like that show um, personally because I don't wanna be influenced by what's going on there. I don't want my artistry influenced by what everybody else is doing when I'm trying to keep it anchored in the historical you know, aspect of it. I want to reproduce a proper Danax. I want right. to reproduce a Cherokee Tomahawk. That being said though, um, Hibben Knives was a huge influence on me. Um, I don't know if you all are familiar with Hibben at all. Uh, back in the 80s, early 90s, he was like the first fantasy knife maker. Okay, he had okay, yeah, okay, wild, crazy designs. So, I mean, he's in there a little bit. But, you know, while I'm doing the process, uh, go through those stages. Uh, it takes me, you know, to answer your question, now it takes me a day to forge it out. And uh, I guess... Yeah, go go through it. How, yeah, how I just need to go through it. Yeah. No, let me let me start to finish it. Um, we uh, I take the take the blank, first heat, get the eye split, and I'll put it in the machine and it goes down through the top, then I flip it over and come back the other way so I get a good clean eye. Then it goes back in the fire and then it's all by hand for the next 20 30 minutes. Uh, I use two three di- I use uh, three different mandrels to open up the eye to a specific size so I can hold on to it with a pair of tongs that I've specially made to hold on to the side of the eye. So it's, you know, it's a stepped process. From there, we start working on the blade. I'll heat it back up, put it under the power hammer, get it flattened out, get it kind of headed the right direction, and then it's fire, power hammer, fire, anvil, fire, power hammer, fire, anvil, back and forth, and it's, it's a constant game of mess it up and fix it you know because you're shaping it with a hammer
3: yeah and this, this is drawing that out into the blade part
1: right so you're going through that constant back and forth because you're shaping it with a hammer
0: you know um and what were you saying it's a process of messing up
1: and fix it's a constant process of messing it up and yeah. fix it
0: you know what? and i remember that now when you were guiding me when i was making that axe myself how i did something wrong like, hell no that's good you mess it up and then we fix it. Yep, that's it. Right on. You know,
1: and, and you get it as you know. And the better I get, the less I need to cut off uh, extra, or you know, you call it dross call it uh, you know, fall off. The better I get, the less of that there is. The more I'm hammering it to shape. Um, some of them like this danax that I just made. It was a really big piece of metal, and I flattened it out, and then I'll let it cool, and I'll use chalk to draw kind of the profile and get it to you know kind of where i want it and then i'll cut it out and put it back in the fire back to the hammers and it just worked this process and then when i get it how i want it i'll go ahead and put my touch mark on it make sure it's even and then i put it back in the fire and i turn the fire off and i walk away
3: what's a touch mark a
1: touch mark is my signature okay it's a specific stamp um that's uh unique to each blacksmith mine is a hawk in the sun you know, that's uh, this is my my original one. Just looks like a just a simple drawing. That's the first thing I ever learned how to draw. Basically, it's a bird. You know, my my Our, art teacher in third all grade. All this time,
2: I thought it was an M for Martin.
1: Yeah, well, she taught me how to draw birds by drawing Ms. Okay,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm sitting there. I
1: you know, you know every every blade that I have yours. So I'm yeah. like, oh, I like that. That's yeah. I really like that yeah. mark. Yeah. But it's, it's shaped like, you know, it's M for Martin. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's the first thing I learned how to draw. Forge, she, she taught Martin. me to draw birds by drawing my first initial, you know, put a little loop on it. And then uh, uh, here a while back when I, uh, in 2016, when I made the decision to go all in, that I'm not going to do, I'm not going to drive anymore. I'm not going to yeah. do all these other things that everybody else wants. I'm going to focus on my career and, and get going on this. I really believed I could be a master smith. I had a professional touch mark made. And it was uh my uh, the M touch marked uh, with uh, the sun surrounding it, and then that developed into like a uh, it was uh the uh, that got turned into more of like a compass when we did the artwork on it. It looks more of like a compass, you know. Which you know that fits. I liked it, so we went ahead and stuck with it. But it's uh you know that's my mark. I haven't seen anybody else's like it. Cool, nice, yeah. So then after I put my touch mark on it, and, and when a blacksmith puts his touch mark on it, he's saying he's done with it. this is a quality piece that I am willing to put my name on. You know, so after I do that, I put it back in the fire and I leave it. Right, I'll let it cool overnight like that. Right, and I'm doing that, it's called normalizing. I'm taking that metal to its softest molecular capability and hopefully an even capability. You know, and then the next morning when I come in, I'll start the heat treat process on it. know what i try to do is overlap so let's say if i went to work today and i forged an axe today i wouldn't put a handle on it till tomorrow so when i come in tomorrow i'm going to start off by forging an axe right when i get done forging that axe and i put it in the fire i'm going to take out the one that i made the day before and the one i made the day before and that you know i've already heat treated and tempered it you know are let me let me correct that i'll make it the day before i'll forge out another axe i'll normalize that one while i'm normalizing what i made today i'm heat treating what i made yesterday
2: so and it's a do fluid you still use transition use the, uh, the kiln for your heat treat
1: i do use it for the temper for the second temper okay. cycle right uh and that's something that a lot of people
2: are confused about mm-hmm. uh, and there is a difference between heat treat and tempering right
1: it's all part of the same, same cycle. Process. Okay. There's a difference between hardening and tempering. Okay. So when we when we're hardening a uh, we're hardening metal when, we're, when I'm hardening an axe, I'm going to take it up to that critical transition te- uh, temperature and that's just past non-magnetic. So you use a magnet to figure it out, right? get it to that heat and then I'll quench it now if I'm making a tomahawk I differentially harden it that means I'm only hardening the bit I leave the pole soft you know I do that because of the kinetic energy transference and the amount of shock that these uh, that these tomahawks take when they hit a target you now you know if I'm doing a uh, if I'm doing something like a a knife or something you know I'm more liable to hold heat treat it when we're doing a tomahawk i'm only going to harden the, the front uh, you know three four inches of the bit, right uh you got to do at least an inch you know and i got that from the old blacksmithing manuals uh, i've got a, a book called the practical blacksmith uh which is a it's a compilation of articles that were written in uh, newspapers uh, in the 1800s so you know blacksmith would say hey i want to write in and uh, this is how i do this and he would send it in mm-hmm. well that there's a, the, the book now has all that stuff in it. So I go back to those old, you know, instructions, mm-hmm. you know, and these are, these are guys from the 1800s now that are teaching me how to do this. Yeah. So I go and you know, uh, when I'm doing my, my heat treating, I'll do just a bit and then I'll temper it right on the edge of the fire. Right. I'll, I'll put that, that ax after it's hardened, I'll put it right back up on the edge of the fire and that'll heat up the pole and that heat will transfer through the axe and those colors will run through the blade and you'll see the colors change and you'll you know, and it takes a it took me years to be able to see straw the color straw on metal is a really light yellow and you have to train your eyes how to see it that's what you'd want for your knife edge you know you'd want that nice really hard edge on that, on a yellow And then it tapers down to like a little more gold, kind of like with these microphones. Okay. A little duller color than the microphones. And then there's a red. And that red, I call it the blood band. That red is just a really short temper range um, before it transitions to purple. And then blue. And then light blue. Now, depending on what your knife is depending on what your axe or your tomahawk depending on what you're you're using it for depends on your heat treat with tomahawks and axes all the books that i've read recommend purple at most but a blue temper a much softer temper than a knife that's because you're going to use it in colder temperatures so if you're chopping wood and it's 20 degrees outside and you're swinging it you're hitting that harder frozen wood if you're running a hard axe if you've got let's say you know a gold temper on that axe it's going to break and it's just because everything's colder you know so running that blue uh blue to a purple temper on it's going to make the metal a little softer but it's going to allow it to give and it's going to give it that spring now the other important thing to say when you're throwing tomahawks and axes you should not be throwing sharpened edges the edge must be rebated you now so, how you do that is you sharpen it, and then you go back over it with sandpaper. You should be able to run your finger along the edge you know it's it's it, and why is that yeah, why okay, so when you're throwing kinetic energy transference, okay the amount of force, you figure an average person throws a baseball about sixty five miles an hour. Baseball weighs what four or five ounces, six ounces, not much there. Tomhawk weighs a pound and a half, right. If that edge hits a knot, hits a nail, hits anything in that wood, it could and probably will develop a chip or a crack. If you rebate it, just take that sharpness out of the edge. Instead of chipping or cracking, it'll just maybe give it a little dent, but it won't develop more uh, more cracks. It won't develop fissures that would be caused if the edge was sharpened. Now, we all seem to think, oh, I need a sharpened axe, a tomahawk isn't meant to be used that way. If you look at the pictures of mountain men and the Native Americans carrying tomahawks in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, they carried small of the back without a blade guard. Right? These weren't razor-sharp weapons. They were meant to just chop.
0: Hmm? Hmm. Well, you know, so that's the, interesting. The, the more you, know, <laughs> you learn. Yeah,
1: I, I have to
2: say, I've been looking forward to this podcast Uh more than any podcast I think because this is stuff I'm I'm fascinated with and I'm fascinated about like the artistry you know you're talking about knowing the colors and and recognizing that you you see it uh knife cultures like car culture people get obsessed with a brand or, or things like that people get talk name rattle off models and things like that I love the the handcrafted stuff because like you you're recognizing what that particular item needs for its particular purpose you know, we, we go buy something commercially off the shelf, they're all heat treated the same, you know, it's it's all done in a giant oven, uh, they're pressed out by a machine, there is no art, there is no feeling or, you know, the science is as minimal as it has to be. You've trained your eye. So, when I when someone goes to your website and purchases one of your axes, they're buying not necessarily this great piece of metal. They're buying your skill, that, that artistry that you have, that, the ability to recognize, okay, this needs to do this, and this is the best way to make that perform. And the time and effort that you've put into doing all that research and finding that stuff out. It's fascinating. I'm, I'm loving this.
0: This is great. Yeah,
1: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Well, I was thinking, too, that, you know, take the light fighter knife mm-hmm. that, that, uh, that Martin has made for us it was definitely a give and take a collaborative thing there are a couple of different um models beforehand before we came to that one but each one of those is unique each one is different the blade length varies from from one it's thickness and it, it they're all different so like right now we're sold out of them we hope, hope to get some some more of them soon You're gonna um,
1: make that happen yeah
0: so it was good people wanting them, bought them you know, from us online, but there were a lot of people, too, who either came here for a seminar or asked, hey, can I, can I see one at a class? So then what was cool is then they had four or five of them in front of them, and they would look, and they were looking for the one that fit them. Th- this one is mine. This one fits my my personality better, even though they, they look and all the same design but because of those little variances because they are each unique they are handmade like no this one this one is mine yeah that that's just a, a cool special touch then that uh that i know people really appreciated.
1: i actually kept one of the ones out of the last batch because yeah. it wasn't turned down as much as the other ones it was turned back a little bit more which worked beautifully for me shaping and scraping oh. down handles so i actually use that <laughs> cool. light fighter to, to scrape like when i'm antiquing the handles yeah. i'm using that light fighter that i held back is it's just a little different the handle is just a little bigger so uh-huh. it's like you're saying this one's perfect for me i yeah. think i'll keep it
2: that's cool yeah. uh, It's what i wear on my belt i mean i i love mine we saw it out in the uh, austere environment class used it for uh some some different techniques. Yeah, we didn't have your uh, janky holster at that time, though. Hey, you know, it works. I'm redesigning it. Oh, no, I'm not redesigning I like the well, design.
1: I'm going to clean it up. Oh, okay, there, there you is. go. But
2: I'm not a professional uh, kydex maker.
1: But it's one of the things that's kind of spurred me because, you know, back when I had to say, okay, I'm going to do blacksmithing and nothing but blacksmithing, you know, now I'm sitting here looking at it, you know, and, and I come up and I see how you guys are carrying them. And I'm going, okay, wait a minute. I do know how to do Kydex. I'm really actually pretty good at it. Um, maybe I should do <laughs> so, the so, sheets. Maybe so, I should just go ahead and let, make let, the sheets for these. Let, like, so. let,
0: me, let, let me restate what you're saying. You saw somebody, I won't mention Chris's name, worksmanship, and he's like, Wow that's pretty crappy. I can do better than that. So you're... you're. Actually, it was yours. Oh, well, but, well, I
1: mean, if you want to throw him I, under the bus, I'll I, toss I you under the wheel. <laughs>
0: I just want you know. I made
2: his. Yeah, yeah he, I made say, he made mine. I say, Chris made it. He that. looked at mine, and he was like... Oh, damn, you well, just got thrown under the bus twice.
3: <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> he inadvertently backed over you.
1: Oh,
0: <laughs> I, I said, that's
3: ugly, but that's functional. Yeah, it's functional. I,
2: <laughs> I need something. I want to carry that blade. Ooh. Until I get something better, can you make me one? <laughs> and so I put... know everyone knows i've been under a little bit of stress lately i was like great this is a project for me to go out pam hadn't passed yet i want to work and i put it all together and i hand it to jared and i i'm not saying i was proud about it because it was cleaner than the one i made and then i see him across the table i'm like crap i made it backwards (laughs) it's (laughs) it's left-handed what was i thinking i wasn't i you know um on that you know kidex isn't hard to work with it was very easy for me to order the sheets offline yeah. um, i drew up a, a quick pattern of what i kind of wanted it to look like uh, in cardboard i cut it out um i made a you know heated up pressed it um my first one is is much uglier than jared so don't take it cool <laughs> i, do I it. know first um, ones are supposed to be ugly. yeah it's but, not like you knew what you were doing hey i didn't i i figured out but it's since i made that it's been three months and it's been on on my back almost every day yeah Yeah. um and you know funny we talked about this i jared's carrying his because i made it backwards uh he's carrying it actually up front and i'm like i kind of like that better than how i'm carrying mine yeah maybe i need to switch that around Uh, yesterday every time that i climb in the truck i seem to hit it and then it would like spin around and kind of make it awkward for me to get in the truck so yeah then i'm getting a hole
0: in my t-shirt (laughs) <laughs> that happens too yeah, so well let's uh, we don't need to take the time because it it was a long time uh, how we came to the current design for, for that light fighter but let's just why don't you Martin just talk us through your design for that and its functionality and, and your thought process with with the current one we, you know, we don't need to go through through this one or any of the others just, just what the current one just what we have
1: okay it, um So Um, so really funny, uh, yesterday when we were at the event, everybody's asking me about the Light Fighters, and I kept apologizing because I didn't have one on me, and it wasn't until this morning when I'm going through my gear at the hotel room (laughs) that I had one on my, it's small (laughs) on my back the whole day. (laughs) I had one in my magazine pouch, I forgot I put it in there to be able to, yep, completely forgot about it. You you fit right in with the rest of Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, with with this design, um, went with a razor grind on it, um, like you'd find on a a straight shaving razor. Uh, In fact, if they go to your... your instagram page
0: i think they probably have to scroll back far enough number of months you've got a video of you on there shaving with the thing
1: i actually do yeah, yeah uh-huh. i actually did that and if you look really close when i first start my hand shaking like a leaf because i really was kind of worried i was going to get myself because that was that was a little bit i mean my ego was my ego was feeling pretty strong that day like i was feeling pretty confident until you put the razor up there <laughs> i got that knife up my face and then i'm like just shaking like a leaf yeah yeah but uh uh, I'm not sure what was going on in my head that day. Just you know,
2: you know, I have to say right now, I, I handed uh, Martin my my light fighter. That so on, on my back and he's inspecting the the blade, and I haven't uh, run it across a strap. It's uh, it's a little dull, the duller than I normally keep it. Um, still cuts. It still cuts. Yes, it will kill. But it is. <laughs> I I do like the grind that you have on that. I, it's very easy to keep sharp. Um, and I will give a ton of
0: excuses why I haven't run well, it across anything. Let's huh. go ahead. And you've got it in your hand. So talk through it as best descriptively as you can for, for people listening.
1: All right. Well, let's start with the basics of the okay. inspiration behind it. It was actually a biblical verse about forging your plows into swords and uh, just happened to have a couple of hay tines laying around. Uh, hay tines, pretty hard metal, usually about 60, 70 points of carbon in it. So these are actually made out of hay tines that are flattened out. Um, hay tines are uh, a scrapers they use to pick up the hay. Um, uh, it depends on the implement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a long spring, but uh, with a pointy end. It's a good way to put it. So I, I take the hay tine and I cut them down into about, I believe it's an 8-inch section. And uh, I have it marked on a rod there at the shop. I have a, a blank cutout that just stays on the side for just this. And I flatten them all out, uh, process the, the hay tines um, through the power hammer, flatten them all to shape. And then I take them over to the anvil, and I actually forge the pommels first. Okay. Uh, I'll forge the uh, and the. I think I did it on all of them. Um, the back of the, uh, the knife, the pommel on the knife, is actually shaped like a finger. Um, it's got a little fingernail groove cut into it. That's actually intended for flint striking, mm-hmm. that you can come over it and drag down a flint. Um, but it's also a skull cracker that's uh, uh, left over from the uh, the razor design, yeah, of yeah. That, that knife we did a long time ago. Um, I do that over the edge of the anvil right, and shape that down. And I actually shape this whole thing just by hitting right here over the edge of the anvil, and the metal kind of squishes down. And then uh, once I get the handle... Be- before you go on, yeah. if I can see it.
0: Please. So... I got them and that was new from that was new from uh, I think from one of the earlier not not designs but like one of the sketches we had Mm -hmm. and it was driving me nuts I'm like I know I've seen that I know I've seen that what is that and then well the fingernail yeah but but no actually that groove Mm -hmm. I I, I've seen the fire starters and it just didn't click and until you said that I'm like oh yeah of course yeah that's exactly what that is but yeah yeah, it, it in fact we had yeah that conversation it was driving me nuts because i I know i know what that is i just couldn't remember what i knew
1: yeah so it's uh yeah exactly it's got the flint striker on the back of it and then i'll bring it around and uh i flip the whole piece around and i'll put it over the edge to form up the ricasso uh that's where the uh the the actual blade begins on a knife where you get your uh, transition from your handle to your blade and i'll uh i do a half on half off hammer blow which means the uh the knife sitting on the edge of the anvil like so and then my hammer face actually is half off of the anvil so i'm only half hitting and it causes that drop to give it that uh thumb rest mm-hmm. right there and then uh I'll bring it back around and I'll forge the blade out. And the, blade just, the blade's forged one-sided. It's made flat on the, the back half just by resting it on the anvil. Right? Um, the grooves in the top I do by hand with a, a file or an a angle grinder afterwards. Um, get that nice stabby tip on it. Yeah. You know?
2: and, and for me, that gives me a lot of control when I've got to do fine detail work. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love the way that you have it set up for my thumb. But then when I've got to really do something fine, whether I'm cleaning an animal or or doing fine woodwork, being able to come all the way up on the tip of the blade and I've got yep. the index point, it is I, mean, I absolutely amazing.
3: Yes, okay. I see what you're doing, there. Yes. Okay. So, so, what you're yeah, doing there. That's so beautiful. I'll put my, I'll put the tip. I'll rest my finger right in there, and to keep from going too deep when you're um, gutting an animal, by doing that I'm. I'm making sure the tip doesn't poke anything, like any of the organs, while I'm coming up the sternum, especially so, small the So for, the, of, so for yeah. the
1: listeners that can't see your hands right now, he's yeah. actually gripping the, uh, the spine of the blade in his palm, and he's got his fingers and his thumbs on the side of the blade, away from the edge and he's got his index finger on the, the spine of the tip of the knife yep. to be able to guide it. Your finger uh, rests perfectly there. Oh yeah. You know, it's it it's right beautiful for me to be able to see this because I never even thought of using it uh, that way. And yeah. we thought was, that's when you designed it like that. No, We're like, this is I mean, perfect. Well, yeah, works great. My theory on it was like that, where I would hold it in the hands, you know, with so a little different. I'll, but, I'll use it like
2: that yeah. on that, that first uh, yeah. point. If I'm doing like uh, okay, like fine, that, yes. fine woodworking or something like yeah, that, like that's what I was thinking. you know, prepping, um, like you know, processing yeah. my kindling or something, I need that extra choke up on there. Yeah. But then, like what what Chris is saying, when you've got to get in there, you're working with that small game, yeah. a squirrel or something like that. It allows you that extra little bit of protection. Yeah, it does
1: yeah, and and I like how you yeah. took it a step further. You took it even yeah, that's beautiful. You know, that was one of the biggest reasons that I was looking forward to come out here. Is I really yeah. wanted to see how everybody was using these. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, the handle itself, um, out, okay, we'll back up. We do, uh, these are, uh, whole heat treated. I, I quenched the, uh, the, uh, actually back that up. I do not heat treat the handles. The blade is whole heat treated. So this whole blade is quenched and then the whole thing goes in my temper oven. I use the temper oven on these because I want to be accurate. Mm-hmm. I want to be dead on. Um, I, uh, I've tried tempering them on the edge of the forge before, and the color just runs too fast. It's too quick. We go from, we go from straw to purple in about uh, just uh, a <laughs> second. <laughs> yeah, and it's because of how thin the blade is and how, you know, the, the overall height profile. No, but I do, uh, I'll, I, uh, I normalize them overnight in the forge, heat treat them uh, in, or uh, harden them individually and then temper them all together and then the handle itself has got a uh under wrap of uh, cecil uh cordage and then i go over the top of that with paracord but we all made it to where the intent was the grip is more of a three finger to where you've got i don't know the right way to describe this but to say that it's styled after a shaving razor to where your thumb and your finger on the front of the grip are holding bare metal you know, and the idea was to give more thickness in the palm and more mm-hmm. control at the tip.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. I see it. Yeah. Thank you. Now,
0: thoroughly impressed. Love this design. And since I, since Chris graciously made me that uh, that sheath,
3: uh, <laughs> that I, I've been carrying it with
0: me uh, all the time. You know,
2: like Chris is just upset because I have yet to make him one. Uh-huh. Mm. Um, That's
0: because I don't have a knife yet. Oh, Wow. Well, you you could buy them when they're available on our website, but uh, I
3: guess you have to wait till the next batch. I was going to say, or you try to earn one. Oh oh, oh. man, uh huh, that hurts. Cut me deep. Cut me deep.
2: Well, it is a blacksmithing podcast, you know. If someone didn't get cut, you know,
0: (laughs) that's a slow delay. That was funny. That was funny. One one thing yeah, that I do like about this design is, you know, how the blade is attached to, to the handle there. And what's the technical term for that piece the right rig- there? Picasso. Picasso, yeah. So I like that. So if I've got a puncture, if i got a push, you know, my my hand is not sliding up. Even with this, which was kind of my intent, with it round, if I hit a rib or hit something, I can still slide my, my, my hand up. But with this one, with the light fighter, you can't. And, uh, man, I... Uh, a week ago, I was tempted. I, I almost had this thing out, and I was about ready to stick it in somebody um, <laughs> okay. repeatedly. Uh, no, someone almost gave you just cause. Yeah, yes, they did. Yes, they did. Uh, shoot, we'll talk about that now. Why not? Here's yeah. a little. Here's a little. uh a little segue. A little segue. Yeah. So um, we already blasted it out. Actually, this month's newsletter. Uh, there's a couple paragraphs that were I, I talked about it. So when we were driving back from from Utah, coming back here to Pennsylvania. We stopped at a very large gas station, and you know, me, my wife, and, and my kids. And attached to this gas station was an Arby's. So it was like nine nine thirty at night, and we stopped. I got out, told one of my boys, "Hey, fill up with gas." And then I walked diagonally across this parking lot, um, over to look into the window of the Arby's to see if they're still open because some of the lights were off, and they were. They're serving people, so that okay, great. I'll uh, we'll get some Arby's. So then I. Walked parallel along the Arby's, walked towards a glass foyer uh, that led into the gas station, because you had to go through the gas station to actually get into the Arby's itself. So as I walk in this glass foyer, I notice there's this gentleman, <laughs> this guy who was standing there, some kind of maybe like Eastern European descent or something, and I see that he's staring out the glass foyer, staring off to the left, and the only thing there was my van. So then I walked right behind him he didn't realize you know what i was doing so i got behind him to take his line of sight to the line of exactly where he was looking and he was looking at my van and as he's looking at my van in front of my van were three of my kids to include my 14 year old daughter my 10 year old daughter and then uh, my youngest son and the three of them started walking across the parking lot coming towards that glass foyer and they were walking in to use the bathroom and he's tracking my kids so then i you know Something out of the ordinary. This wasn't right. So then I noticed, hey, what's this guy doing? You know, now he became something of interest. Let me figure out what's going on here. He's looking at my van, but he wasn't. He's was looking at my kids. Now he's tracking my kids as they're walking up. And then I realize, as they're getting closer to the door, he's not just looking at my kids. He's focused on my 10-year-old daughter. So at that point, with that realization, that's when, you know what? maybe i was armed with a with a pistol but my uh instinct immediately went to forget that and i was going to go for for the knife Be a little uh, more stay. personal
3: yeah exactly
0: know? he yeah. was he was very being very personal with me so uh yeah he I, earned that one yeah so as i'm thinking this like okay what am i going to do next you know where's his his kidney cuz i'm going to shank him about 17 <laughs> times there um, so my three kids walk in and again it's my kids right so we've played enough games so they're like we're not going to acknowledge dad because you know we don't want to give it away so they walk past me he starts to turn as he's focused in on my daughter and my again not my 14 year old but my 10 year old daughter is who he's he's tracking And just as he started to take a step towards her, that's when all of a sudden he realized, hey, there's a man standing behind me. This man's looking at me. He noticed me and and he flinched. And when he flinched, he kind of then quick walked into the gas station and went off into the Arby's. Let's be honest. You probably did not have the best poker face. You probably had the I'm going to kill you. probably did. So then I quick get on our our uh, on my phone and send out the 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 word uh, in our family uh, group chat. That basically says, bad guy, stay with a buddy. So everyone, you know, all my kids and my wife who had the phone saw that, realized it was going, you know, something was up. And then I followed the guy into the Arby's. And when I walked in, he was talking in some European, you know, Eastern Slavic language, some Eastern European language that I didn't recognize. I couldn't say, I've heard enough Russian to say, okay, that's Russian. It was something else that I, I had no idea what it was. Was he in a tracksuit? <laughs> I'm picturing him in a tracksuit. He, yeah. he was not in a tracksuit, but you know that that, okay. that, that kind right. of fits. So uh, he's talking to somebody and kind of you know glancing a little bit towards me as I'm in there. And they get in line and I follow them in line. They order something. I order a lot of stuff. And by this time, while we're waiting for the food, um, my wife had the rest of the kids. She had them under, under her control. they were in the van. And then in walks first one of my 20, 18 year olds, and then the other one walks in. And then my 16-year-old boy walks in, and now my, my for those of you who don't know, my, my twins, they're all, they're both big, taller than me, bigger than me, and uh, my 16-year-old, he's, he's almost as big as me now, so they walk in, and I quick text to them, you know, at 2 o'clock. Tan uh, shorts blue shirt so then they all like clue and okay this is the this is the guy so that now he's he's glancing over at us while he's waiting for his food and and he knew you know something was up he he, he knew that that we were were you know that i picked is, on him this the, one guy turned into four yeah exactly the problem is he was focusing
2: on you guys and you weren't even the threat it was really Ben.
3: Ben was <laughs> ben the one who was like low like, little crawling oh, under the exactly. to get behind him, tie his shoelaces together. Tie his shoelaces. Yeah. He cut that Achilles heel so I yeah, yeah, wouldn't that get away.
0: Yeah. So anyways, uh, our food came. Their food came. We, we left, and everything was fine. And maybe it was completely innocent, but it certainly was out of the ordinary. And because I, you know, wasn't clueless, man, I you picked up on so it. I, something was out of the ordinary and that's that's what what triggered it for me and then because we we play games as a family everything was just normal and natural and instantaneous what the real realization was after it was done and we're on the road again was if i wasn't paying attention at that place at that as busy as it was as late as it was That guy could have very easily overpowered a a 9, 10-year-old little girl Mm -hmm. in a car. She she might not even be able to to let out a peep and Mm -hmm. and gone. Right there by a major freeway, gone. Where did they go? It's pretty wild. But, uh, yes, I had a light fighter on me, and it was, I was ready. It was ready to. uh, Almost saw some action. Exactly.
3: It would have done the job.
0: (laughs) Yes, it would (laughs) have. So, anyways, there's that story so i really like the life fighter everyone that i know who, who purchased that original run we've had a lot of good feedback so look forward to you know t- to the next run and uh yeah
1: i'll be so, getting right on that when i get back to colorado cool <laughs> so uh let's talk about let's talk about uh well the, the first thing
0: that i got then was was one of your viking axes so let's spend a little time you talk us through uh your viking axes. your your why you make them the way you do how they're unique to you and then after that then let's talk about hawks because the tomahawk is a different animal than, than those, those fighting axes
1: it is so i think that they they both really tie together for me um the in, uh, the biggest inspiration for me is how the heck did they do that a thousand years ago how did they make that how did they punch a hole through it did they did they do an asymmetrical weld did they do a symmetrical weld did they just flat out punch a hole through it you know and just figuring that out that challenge of it um for me the focus was the franciscan axe from the merovingian dynasty uh went into charlemagne's uh reign as well so i have a pretty good idea but but what time period is that so we're looking no uh ad uh you'd be looking ad 400 to 800 okay um so way pre-dark ages pre-middle age, uh pre-middle ages this is still very much tribal europe yeah right um post viking age so there's quite a bit of trade okay north to south and all of a sudden we see the prevalence of this one axe design this franciscan axe design come out of France, the region of uh, Francia back then, Mm -hmm. Um, but it explodes all over Western Spain, Germany, um, up into Poland, even gets over into England, the British Isles, and I was fascinated by this. How, back then, did they do that? And the only thing I could figure out was a traveling blacksmith. Somebody was going around, or it was Sure, it wasn't ancient aliens that was... So, well, or... Maybe. I mean, ancient aliens is always a possibility. I mean, uh, or it was a guild or one or two blacksmiths that was printing out apprentices. Yeah. And I kind of, I looked at that and I'm like, that makes more sense that you've got one or two masters that really figured it out. And they're grabbing an apprentice every couple of years. And I'm like, okay. So if they grabbed an apprentice every couple of years, that means you should couple of years to figure this out. And I started digging through the history books and trying to figure it out. But when it really came down to it, the only thing I could do is pick up a hammer, heat up some metal and try to figure it out the best I could, because I couldn't duplicate what they did, even though I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to do it. So I had to duplicate what that first master did and just figure it out and just trial and error it. Uh, That was also about the time that show Vikings first started becoming popular and I had had enough experience from my trucking days to know that if you really wanted to make money, you got to specialize. You need to pick a lane and stay in it and do it better than anybody else that's doing it. You know, the, that show Vikings was really inspirational to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the theme about it. And those particular axes, I looked at that and I went, I can make that. Took me about four tries. Finally made one. Um, and it's so cute because I still have it. It's on a trashed-out handle. It's dinky, like it's little. Like it looks like a Viking axe, uh-huh. but the reality is, is it's like this big. It's like like three inches with the full beard, and like the whole head's only four like four or five inches long. And that thing took me like two days to make. It. Like, <laughs> and I look at it now, I'm like, dude, I would not know. That's What is that? That's not even. Sorry. But it really, it it was the first step. And then I tried again and again and again, and I ended up nailing it. Finally got the design, got the heat treat, and I sold it. I'm like, yes, win. So I did it again. And I kind of stayed with that Viking design, and purposefully, because it was all over Hollywood. It's in everybody's face. Yep. They're doing the marketing and salesmanship for you. Exactly. It was a design that I liked. It was challenging. I had to figure it out on my own but there was sight recognition. You looked at that and you went, oh, that's Ragnar's ax, I want that. So I got that impulse buy vibe going for me as well. <laughs> Worked on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so you know, there's a big difference in construction though because the, the actual handle and the eye on a traditional Viking ax and a American tomahawk are the same. It's a tapered eye, Uh, like you'd see on a hardware store pickaxe. You put the handle in from the top down. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's done that way so the hand won't come flying off of it. Um, But that's where the similarity ends. A Viking axe is going to be tapered from the eye all the way to the bit. It's going to be one smooth taper. A tomahawk should have a very thin blade all the way back to the pole. Now, like the tomahawks that I brought out to this show... There's a, a hard, defined step line. It's a different technique. I wanted to try it out using the power hammer. Now, I kind of like how it looks. It very much copies the Tomahawks that were made on the planes uh, about the late 1800s where they had that, that stepped appearance mm-hmm. to it. Um, and that gives you uh, gives you more material to work with to make the blade longer, Right. But it gives that deeper bite for when you're throwing, and it also puts most of the weight back toward the pole of the handle. Right, Gets your weight on center for the throw. Right, Because of that, they can't take the abuse that a hatchet or an axe could. So there's a give and take to it. Uh, A hatchet should be about two, two and a half pounds. A tomahawk should be sub a pound and a half. It should be a pound and a half or less. That's pretty light. Yeah, uh, it's so fun fact um the actual american tomahawk is our version of an australian boomerang it is meant to be used for small game hunting as well as personal and self-defense you're supposed to throw it you know it's uh like for using in hunting we practice on the range we do an overhand throw for throwing tomahawks if you're actually going to hunt with it you'd use a sidearm and you'd be more of a huck kind of like when you're like uh uh, what's a, a baseball throw like Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. You're coming around to the side like a baseball throw because you want that thing turning sideways. Like Like, skipping rocks. Like like skipping rocks, like a big old lawnmower blade, because that gives you, if you've got a 14 inch handle, now you've got 28 inches of ground space you're covering as that thing's turning headed towards your dinner.
2: You know, we talk about uh, hunting small game like rabbits. Mm -hmm. You can kill a rabbit with a stick. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's just giving you a little bit more advantage having that that edge, that weighted in coming on there.
1: Oh, yeah. When you throw and, and very much you throw a hawk at a rabbit, it's going to hit with more impact or maybe comparable impact force than a real hawk coming down on a rabbit. And like when a perican, uh, peregrine falcon uh, hunts, they uh, they don't actually hunt with their claws out; they ball their fists up and they punch their target. You know, and they knock it mm-hmm. out. So you're hunting the same way a raptor does. You're hucking that hawk at it with the hope of breaking its spine breaking its skull incapacitating it um so you can get up on it and finish the kill so you can eat dinner that night mm-hmm. you know.
2: again i was really looking forward to this and i'm loving everything i'm learning this is so awesome <laughs>
1: uh, because i talk about it
2: with my kids in the the survival classes sometimes you just gotta improvise you know and you, you we never train it we never nah. do it and now what you're saying i'm like i've got to get a tomahawk now and i've got to st- go in the backyard and practice yeah not with a rabbit with something you know pine cone we, you got
0: you got, you got there. a lot of chickens back there right? oh
2: you get uh, moving chicken uh-huh. i like my chickens Oh, you, um, what about some guinea hens or I, uh, roosters the, the guinea hens are uh what what protect my chickens oh, okay. so okay. uh i don't know i'll find something
1: No, but that going back to it, that's why you rebate your edge, too. That's why you're not running a sharpened Mm -hmm. edge because you're throwing it and the ground has rocks. Yeah. And rocks and axes don't get along. You know, so having that rebated edge, if you do go skipping over rocks, it's not going to hurt it. Like yesterday, my axes must have hit the dirt 80 times. I remember because we pulled up. It was Jared and I, and that dude threw that
3: first one. We saw and all I heard was clang, clang, <laughs> right. going through yeah. the brush and hitting pretty much every rock back yeah. there. Yeah, if, if there was a rock, he hit it. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I taught yeah. a
2: uh, a knife or tool sharpening class to a group of young men, and I was asked well, why wouldn't you just sharpen everything like a razor? And you know, I didn't have the right verbiage or, or the reasons. I was well because not everything is a razor. That's right. And, you know, I. My fillet knife that I'm filleting a fish or or doing you know fine detail work with meat, I might have that that steeper angle too. But my pocket knife that I'm going to be prying staples with and you know picking my fingernails and doing all kinds of things, I need it to be a little bit fatter so it can survive that type of
1: damage. Absolutely, you know I I carry a a a flaying knife on me, a little pocket flaying knife. Uh, In fact, uh, let me see here. This is called this is a CRKT Kiss and it looks like half a pocket knife mm-hmm. and i don't keep it sharp this is my fingernail <laughs> i use it for scraping popping staples whatever mm-hmm. it's, it's not meant to really have an edge on it i use it as my accessory fingernail so i don't tear up my own fingers i, I remember my first deployment
0: yeah i was boy. i <laughs> I, I bought this a really li- nice knife i forget who made it but i bought it in the late 90s before i went to the military so that m7 bayonet blade which is, is a good blade it had a skull crusher on it yeah. nice straight blade I really liked the thing and when I deployed in Afghanistan in 0203 with 82nd whew, that was my fighting knife I was prepared to use that thing and boy that opened MREs and all kinds of stuff <laughs> That's and so after that deployment I'm like okay maybe I need to just tone it down a little bit and get a real functional knife that that does all all that you you know like you said your fingernail that mm-hmm. it does all those yeah. those things I remember
2: 82nd we're getting ready to deploy. It. people are buying you know Got to have a K-bar, got to have uh-huh. all this. Yeah, like gotta, me. Uh-huh. And I was a, a young married man. I had a daughter. Uh, we were tied on finances. So I got this just cheap folding Smith & Wesson Special Forces. <laughs> yep. And it was at the PX, and it was like $23. Probably the best $23 bucks you've, you ever and, spent, right? You know, I'm sitting over there watching these guys pull out these, you know, $200 fixed blade knives cutting their MRE, and there I am. $23. Cutting my MRI gun. <laughs> <That's> okay. Right. <laughs> All right. Works just good. I, I don't feel so bad now. I'm, I would have been feeling bad if I had to, you know, use it for
3: fighting. Uh-huh. But I didn't have to. Yeah. I got Had same a gun thing. for that. I got a Smith & Wesson too. Had half serrated. Uh-huh. It was yep. black. Oh, had the gosh. black blade. Well, it turned out it's now silver because I use it during the cache class uh-huh. for cutting the Yep. The yeah. But I went on every deployment. I made one of the little lanyard with it with a... Uh, fast tech on it yeah with about so i wouldn't so, lose it so yep. pam
2: uh about six months ago she had lost her her pocket knife and so she needed a new one and we were at bass pro we just stopped and she's looking at all the knives and what's the knife she picks she picked that one because it had the you know the little cutout for the seatbelt cutter and she's like well oh, i like that i'm like babe we can get you a better knife and then she's like it worked for you on your first deployment. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Okay, here you go. I'll get it for you. Uh, <laughs> uh.
3: Nice. Yep. yep. So while we're talking edges, let's, yeah. let's talk sharpening edges. What? Uh...
1: You know what? Let's back it up a little bit. And let's talk about the fire starting event. At the Light Fighter okay. Challenge, oh yes. differences yeah, differences in the we, grinds and we, what We, you talk, oh, we talked about this we during, about. Uh, during the Light Fighter podcast.
2: Yeah, um, and I I know this from doing bushcraft and playing in the woods that having the right grind is very important. I uh, I know that I love a kukri as much as the next uh, fan of Robert E. Howard, um, but you have to have the right kukri for those type things. And there's a reason why a true kukri comes with two other knives with it, because it's not the one size fits all thing that uh, we might think it is. And it really comes down to that grind. And we noticed out there that there were some guys that had great knives, but not for bushcraft. Um, There were some guys that had some very thin blades that made it, that they were struggling with. Um, you know, it was a full tang. So they thought, yeah, I can baton this just fine. But it's like, have you ever tried to slice cheese with, uh, like a, a steak knife? It could be the sharpest steak knife in the world, but you're trying to slice through that cheese and the thickness of that cheese comes back and pinches that knife and you're not getting through. You have to have some, some meat to that blade for it to slice through. And I watched a lot of people struggle and, um, I, I just kept thinking i can't wait till we do this podcast so we can talk about you know not all grinds are the same there are different grinds and if you don't know you know you're just going out and saying oh well this person had this knife you know mm-hmm. the bear grill special um which a guy had a bear grill special out there and he yep. he did okay okay um his his block of wood did not get processed as fast as everyone else's it was kind of a thicker he wasn't able to get fine stuff Well, uh, as much as I I talk garbage about Bear Grylls, because the Brits love him so much, Um, (laughs) uh, it was better than some of the other knives I saw. And you have, you know, because your background or anything, you can explain it much better than I can why they were struggling.
1: Oh, absolutely. So I walked through that. I walked through that station and kind of, you know, got an overview, saw what different people were using, saw the different techniques. I saw a lot of what I'd call a cheap flat grind. And that's when you, uh, it's, it's uh, done on a machine. Um, there was one particular kind of a Bolo-looking knife that had one. It was a really pretty knife, but uh, it was a quarter-inch thickness uniform all the way to about three-eighths to the distance to the edge. And then that flat grind, the actual grind of the knife was only three-eighths long, you know, like uh, the height of hmm, the grind yeah. itself. You know it should have been at least half an inch inch get a taper to it but it was like the difference between a step and a ramp and like this knife had like a step on it and this guy was just having hell he couldn't get it to bite into the wood he couldn't get it to shave anything it had a nice edge on it but because it was so steep it just wouldn't do the job you know and so it was like trying to roll upstairs in a wheelchair you know and then you had uh you had a couple of guys that had uh convex grinds were doing pretty good i know uh uh uh, one of your sons was using a knife. I made quite a few back. Yeah. Two of your sons were using knives. Yes, I yes made. they were. Yeah. Um, that was pretty cool to see. Um, they were doing pretty well with both of them. Um, I, I was curious how uh,
0: how the one was doing because I really haven't played much with it. Not not yeah. the, the razor, but the other one. Yeah. And So I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. And um, I, I've actually
2: messed around with that that particular blade. Yeah. Uh, it is... For what they were doing, it works, um, but it's better at bigger stuff. It yeah, it really is. Like processing up more fuel, it's phenomenal. I, I love it. I you have one. Don't yeah, you? I have one. Yeah. I, I take it out and um, I run with that a lot. Uh, your boy that was running the razor, he was struggling a little bit, and I think that was because he was just he had no gas left in the tank. Yeah, he was tired. Yeah, I don't think it was the knife at all. No. And what what was cool about that was it was a you know, it wasn't a fat blade, and normally, like I saw some guys who were running like thin K bars, almost a thin bayonet style, and they were they were kind of struggling. going back to that cheese style, but because of the geometry he had on that blade, he was still able to get through that wood. Yeah, um, he was. It was it was more the uh, the Indian, not the arrow. Yeah, uh, he he needed a, a couple bags of jelly beans or something to perk him back up, but uh, it both knives performed well uh for for that task Yeah, yeah
1: both of those knives have a convex grind mm-hmm. like an axe grind Where it's a it's more of a slope it's more of a ramp and not mm-hmm. a step mm-hmm. um the guys that i saw doing the best were running scandy grinds um which is a, a concave grind that uh tapers to a bevel um that's a flat grind Flat grind, that's okay. a full yep. flat grind okay. what you got going on there because it goes from the edge all the way all up to the back spine in. Yeah. St- keeps that same ramp all the way through. That's ideal for a bush okay. knife. That's giving you that taper, that ramp that you want, so mm-hmm. you don't get the step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah, uh, a full flat grind makes a great bush knife, in my opinion. A Scandi grind makes a good hunting knife. Mm-hmm. Um, great for processing fuel. You can baton through mm-hmm. pretty well with it, but unfortunately, because the, sc- the Scandi is a concave, it's a little thinner blade. Uh, usually 23 25 degree edge sharpness you're gonna deteriorate your edge faster there's mm-hmm. just not as much metal behind it um, you, you but- know what
0: we need to do to just to butt into to your explanation <coughs> excuse me so we've already um, as well as putting out this podcast we've already videoed one of these with the intent once we fire up our, our YouTube page or however platform we choose to go to um, we're gonna that's gonna be one of the first ones it was I think and Pistol. It was a pistol. Yeah. It Was Was it a still carry yeah. pistol class? Yeah. I mean, not class, but we did. So not to replicate this podcast, but next time we're together, next time we get you out here, we'll have John and we'll film and we'll have all these things. So not only saying what you're saying, but to the camera, explain that. And that'll be another good one to put up um, because it, people are going to love this podcast. But then the next step when we can demonstrate and we can show and you can point out stuff, that'll just be all, all the more better.
2: hey. Yeah. You know, always
1: room for upgrades.
2: Yeah, it's it's really good talking to you about these things because I've I've Googled it, I've looked at Pinterest, I've, I've you know seen the drawings of these different cuts and or grinds. Um, it's nice to have someone that really understands this stuff. To yes, that that is what you want. The blade I handed to you, I, that I like that one. Uh, I didn't know why I liked it. You know, I. It, I I know that it batons really well at processing at bushcraft. I'm very happy with it. I couldn't tell you why. And you you took one look at it like, oh, it's a flat grind. That that's why it works better for you. You know, yeah. It, it is good to have you here. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's a lot of fun. It it really is. It's a, a shared experience. You know, mutual feeling. Yeah. You know, just being around you guys, downloading knowledge <laughs> the last couple of days. I I feel like I need a week to process when I get home. <laughs> uh, but uh, going going back into those grinds, mm-hmm. um, the Scandi grind is a good grind. I'm not knocking it at all. I'm just not my favorite for the bush. Great for hunting, great for skinning, great for gutting. Um, you're full flat, awesome. But uh, like, let's talk about the ones that don't work, like a razor grind, like the Light Fighters grind. Doesn't make it great for batoning wood. No. Nope. Doesn't make it. I mean, it'll process fuel, but it wasn't designed for that.
2: Uh, you you could in a pinch, but it's going to do damage. You know or it's going to dull quickly right 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 you
1: know? right so you know and and using you know one of your boys for for example <clears throat> he's tired he's fatigued but the knife that he had had a strong spine mm-hmm. and a good edge and a good bevel so he was still able to get the job yeah. done now imagine being that tired being fatigued that fatigued with a crappy walmart knife <laughs> with a, a short single bevel edge grind you know that that not going to hold its edge and you're getting frustrated and how long is it gonna be before you hurt yourself how long is it gonna be before that frustration overtakes mm-hmm. you know so having the right tools for the job you know super important
2: hey, you know we we might make fun of certain people for having a belt full of knives
1: everybody's okay. looking at the kid, uh, in, the everyone, yep, yep. kid in the corner
2: that'd, uh, that'd be my kid but uh <laughs> i have three on me right now i had three on me while i was out there because all three have a different purpose yeah Absolutely, and, You know, understanding what your equipment can and can't do is very important. Uh, you know, go back to the Kukri. Yeah, kukri absolutely. is a, a great knife for certain things, but the, the Gurkhas recognize that. And they go ahead and put two other knives on that sheath with it because it's not good for cleaning a
1: squirrel you know, That's right i i can't even imagine cleaning a squirrel the cookery no you're not going to clean a fish with a 14 inch blade no
2: no um <laughs> so when you're when you're going out there yes we we want to be able to cover as many things when we purchase our our items but at the same time you have a rifle and a pistol right right you know uh we you wear socks and shoes <laughs>
1: You know. i have more than one wrench yeah exactly yeah. exactly you know, and, yeah. and you're talking like today you know you're carrying three blades i was carrying four yesterday yeah you know on top of my axes i mm-hmm. still had i had i had my uh my western belt knife i had my you know my uh, little pocket flare i had my uh marine corps k-bar on my side and uh i realize that now i had a light fighter in small in my back
3: <laughs> forgot it was there <laughs>
1: it's good to have a spare you don't know about you know but it's every single one of those blades does a different job they're each a different tool in the toolbox
2: yes and uh, hanging out with you the past couple days i, I realized i am definitely missing a tomahawk
1: oh yeah, you need that in your yeah, life yeah that i mean
0: i well I, if i recall somebody i won't mention martin's name told me to tell you and i pass it on to you that if you need some therapy if you need to come out and just <laughs> and, and bang I, on an anvil you're you're welcome I, you're invited I would love
2: to do that. If we can make that happen, I'm I'm definitely down. I love learning anything. It, I've talked to you. I've done, just because I want to know these things, I've done stock removal. Yeah. Um, kind of, I'm not going to lie, I was slightly influenced by Vikings as well. I like the sacks.
1: Oh, yeah. Love and, a good sax.
2: And so I wanted to, you know, and as I've played around with it, I've never made one that I like. I still go back to, you know, more of a classic... You know, clip point, um, just because I can't do it right, you know, yeah. and uh, I definitely want to get my hands on something that's done right. Um, but yeah, the, the tomahawk, I, I definitely need, especially now that you're talking about killing rabbits and things like that. Oh, I've got to, I've got to play with this. Mm-hmm. I have new things.
1: Well, I mean, we could make it, actually, we could make it like a whole event for you because you could come out and forge your own axe, and then we can take you out there and get you a small game license. We can hunt right there on the farm. we okay. take you out there and get you a on <laughs> We'll just make it a whole so, thing. You Fine. need to get it on video. Okay. I would love to
3: see this guy okay. chasing after a rabbit and throwing. It's just missing. I'll yeah. just miss yeah. it all over the place. Yeah. Probably get the first
1: one he goes after. Go out to a prairie dog town and, yeah that, Pop guts. Would, be Pop in, guts. that Pop. would be impressive if you uh. took a prairie dog with a tomahawk like that would be next level like, that's like a hundred yard throw man i
2: i used to have a, when i lived in tennessee we had a um a groundhog that would be in the backyard and my cat would just they're the same size but the cat thought he could take it you know and it was hilarious because that groundhog would he knew exactly the point of the yard that the cat was just close enough and then he would dive into his hole it was like they were Taunting each other the whole time, I could have gotten that. Uh-huh. You see, would have yeah. underestimated me. Stupid groundhog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right. On that, um, I need a tomahawk. Okay. Uh, I want to purchase a tomahawk. Or someone listening to this, this podcast, they want a tomahawk. They now know that they need a tomahawk how does one reach out to you to get a tomahawk
1: well, i try to make it as easy as possible uh you can go to mossy forge on etsy instagram facebook or tiktok and reach out to me directly or you can go to my website www.mossyforge.com and uh, you see what's available on the website like right now i'm sold out of access um thank you all for for that i yeah, really appreciate I, it i was on earlier i was like huh. Oh. Okay, yes I, I have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Well, I mean, we drug you
2: out here. You should be in the right. forge, you know. Yeah, you can get working away. Work. Um, it's a whole weekend, so of uh, if no
1: axes. if you don't see what you want on the website, just go ahead and uh, there's a link on the website where you can contact me directly and hit me up, and we can build you a custom axe. Um, all my quote unquote custom books, you can pick any axe style that I make. You know, okay. I make Cherokee tomahawks, Frontier tomahawks, Viking axes, Dane axes. I'm not going to make you a Persian double-bladed axe. It's just not in my lane <laughs> It's not what I do. Now, I don't now, have any experience in it. I'm not interested So in that. on that be I'm reaching out directly to you or someone yeah. else is listening. Um if I'm telling
2: you what I'm trying to do, you can coach me and be like, okay, yeah, you, you saw that Viking axe on uh, you know, Ragnar's carrying that, but actually what you're trying to do, Chris, you want to take a rabbit you right. actually want this uh, plainsman's tomahawk, right? and
1: I will, I okay, will do that good. for you. If if somebody reaches out to me, hey, I want a tomahawk, and the first thing, the first thing I usually do is say, okay, go down my Instagram feed and find the axe that you're looking for, okay, okay? and then they'll say, well, I really want this this one, like you did this here. That gives me an idea what they're after, right okay. there. And then the next question I ask is, okay, what are we using this for? Are you going to small game hunt with it? Are you just a hobbyist that likes to throw tomahawks? Mm-hmm are you actually going to use it for wilderness survival? Are we putting this in a go bag that's going to sit in your trunk for the next three years and never get used? I want to know what they're Mm -hmm. actually going to use it for. Um, If they're going to park it in their go bag or use it for hunting, it's not going to dictate how I make it, but if they're going to use it for chopping wood, then we're going to sharpen it. It's Mm -hmm. going to be a hatchet. If yes, I'm going to throw this and that's all I'm ever going to do with it, then that age is rebated and it's not going to be a sharp axe. It's also going to change a little bit in how I temper it, you know, and uh, the the overall geometry of it. Because I want it to be ergonomic for what they're going to do. If you're going to sit here chopping all day long, then I want to make sure that that handle is shaped to stay in your hand. If you're going to be throwing it, then that handle needs to be tapered so it slides out of your hand. So I'm going to ask those mm-hmm. questions, and that's where we get custom. And, now and this is
2: this is the difference than you know going to you know a goods store X right and, and buying a hundred and fifty dollar hatchet versus actually getting something custom built to you right you know you're not buying off the rack you're getting this major to your purpose
1: and exactly. it's worth paying for that it really is thank you yes uh, and then we customize the handle length you know uh, if you're if you're taller six foot or above a 14 inch handle is not comfortable it just doesn't feel right if you're five foot tall it feels fine <laughs> you know but you think about it there is a real difference yeah, yeah. my forearms are longer your you know your whole arm is shorter mm-hmm. than the capacity the range the rotation you know me personally i like 22 24 inch handle on tomahawk i like a really long almost like ridiculously long handle on there um i just my personal preference we're gonna get that customized to the individual. If you're gonna throw it a lot, we're gonna go with 12, 14 Mm -hmm. inch handle. If you're gonna be like mixing it up, a little bit of both, maybe 16, 18 is perfect for you. If you're like, you know, for me with those long 22, 24 inch handles, I'm only throwing that if I'm going after dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not something I practice with. That's my wilderness survival tool. And if I have to throw it okay, but with that 24-inch handle, that's a 48-foot swing. I get to miss. Like, I can be off a little and still hit it. You know, so a little more room for error there. But we want to get it customized to you. And then uh, one of the other things that I'm looking at doing, and this is more geared toward you know people like you that, that want to do the woodworking. I also have a customer out of Australia that's been bugging for me for this forever. Just the heads and selling okay. only the head so y'all can make your own handles, however you want to. Hmm. Um, uh, so uh, this is kind of where I got to back it up a little bit. So my friend Corey, uh, he and I have known each other since we were 13, 14 years old, went to high school together. Uh, I struggled horribly putting handles on axes. That really kicked my ass for years. I couldn't get the woodworking part of it. You know, and, and just the, the mediums are completely different. So I was buying handles commercially through a uh, company that was, they were playing middlemen. You know, they're buying handles from overseas and then they're bringing them here. So by the time that I got the handles, these things are over a year old, they're all dried out, they're cracking on me, I'm getting really frustrated. I'm talking to my buddy about it. He's just transitioning out of trucking. You know, uh, he's been doing fuel hauling for, for quite a few years, he's tired of it. And he's looking for that hobby, so he gets into woodworking. And now he runs Flip Flop Workshop and he makes all our handle blanks. So all the handles that you get from me are actually blanked out by Flip Flop Workshop in Grand Junction, Colorado, and then he sends me the blanks and I custom fit them to the axes. Because we're doing them that way, of kind of getting more comfortable with the idea of instead of just selling the finished product of relaxing a little bit and saying okay I finished the head and the handles are available and making that an option for people if you want to do your own you know so and that'll also drop the price and make it a lot more affordable for people because you know right now uh, a custom ax or tomahawk for me you're looking minimum $200 you know uh, most of them running about 225 shipped mm-hmm. that is not bad at all <laughs> No, no. I,
2: I mean I played with your axes that is not bad at no, all not
1: for what they are no no not you at know. all and then uh, if you want like a Viking axe a Viking style is gonna run you about 300 and then like a good uh, the, a big proper Dane axe is gonna be about 500 you know keep in mind I got three days into that like I'm working on that over and over and over coming it, back it, into it's it. it's
2: not just the three days it's the it's the years the of experience years, of, yeah. of I mean you've done the historical research on this stuff mm-hmm. uh, and we're paying for your knowledge yeah your time it's
1: well and there's there's a bonus on that too because if you ever actually do manage to break one of my hawks and my axe i want it back i want a story of how you did it and i will replace it you know i don't learn if i don't get that feedback so Mm -hmm. if you do actually break one of my hawks cool i'm okay with that now please let me know know the three
2: of us were originally 11 bravos that's army term Infantrymen. So you're a grunt. So you you take uh, two eleven bravos, strip them naked, give them two titanium steel spheres, put them in a padded room, come back a half hour, one's missing, the other one's broken, and neither one of them knows what happened. That's right. That's right. So if you want to spray some, we'll try. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give it our darndest.
3: Keep trying, because you ain't done it yet. <laughs> so uh, December. So, challenge accepted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's going to be cold. That, go for it. All right. Go for it because right. that, that'll that tell me if I've got my temper right. Good. You know, that if you guys come back, hey, man, we were out there and we were chopping and we hit into this knot and it nicked the crap out of this blade. Cool. I don't That's know That's awesome. Let what me know. We had last I, time, but I really
2: yeah. like that one we had last time. We got all the pictures
0: of him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I showed it to him. Okay. Because yeah. so I was like, I like that one. So in, in addition to, to your axes... Uh, and in the life of knives you, there's also a couple other things that you make that you sell yeah um, so I'm thinking you know, right away with uh, a couple of times you give me those little blanks the uh, do you still do those uh, the arrowheads or was that a once and done thing
1: that was a uh, that was a one and done thing okay I haven't uh, I haven't dabbled back into that um, I, I still have a stack of them that we've been slowly giving out at some yeah. of the steer environment classes yeah, yeah. there's uh they're handy little tools mm-hmm. but i i decided to stop making those because i felt they were unsafe okay yeah you know, just, just too many different ways that you could get hurt on it okay um <laughs> actually we uh we actually had uh, the one that really sealed it for me is uh, a friend of mine uh was wearing one in a neck sheath and uh he had it just dangling around his neck and uh he got on a dirt bike and was farting around on a dirt bike and wrecked it and uh, the knife was poking out of his shirt the 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 tail end of the knife so the 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 blade edge stayed in the sheath but the other end so it flipped up and went through his shirt so if that had gone the other way it would have stabbed right through his heart and i kind of looked at that and i'm like you know everything about the this this design just bothers (laughs) me okay and i decided to scrap the whole project you know and i think i had like 300 left that I melted down. Oh really and I just, okay. no, just I got just rid of them felt that, yeah, let's, let's just cut lo- you know, let's cut sling load, get rid of so, it. it's not worth keeping.
0: So tell us uh, a fusion of your your current uh, artistry and, and your, your last business as a trucker. you have these tire thumpers what? Yeah
1: what, what are those? Okay, so I spent uh, nearly 20 years of my life as a, a truck driver, long hauler oil field um, driving truck for a living and you're crossing state lines, you cannot carry weapons inside of the cab of a commercial vehicle. You are not allowed to carry a firearm. I don't care where your permit's from. That's federal law. It's transportation laws. Um, I'm sure there's somebody on the podcast that wants to raise their hand and argue that point, take it up with the trucking company. Uh, You have to be careful about what knives you're carrying because different areas, different cities, different Mm -hmm. states have different knife rules, regulations tasers pepper balls um, stun guns there's all these different areas where you can get in trouble just for having that well in the trucking industry there's a tool called a tire thumper and what it is it's a stick of wood with a weight on the other end of it commercial vehicle tires run between 100 and 110 psi so what that means is is if I hit it with a really hard object it'll sound like a basketball dribbling on the ground if it's full of air. If the tire is low on pressure, if it's empty, it's gonna have a dull thud to it. So I can take that tire thumper and I can walk around an 18 wheeler and I can check all 18 tires to make sure their tire pressure is right. Just by thumping on them less than a minute, I can check all my tires. Not having to get down there with a tire pressure gauge. This also gives you a tool to defend yourself with when you're in the back of a dark truck stop, four o'clock in the morning, you're trying to get your day going and there's the local crackhead, the local pimp, the local lot lizard. I, truck stop environments are not friendly. This is The the, the back of a truck stop is the dregs of society. It didn't used to be this way, but unfortunately, it's this way now. Um, the trucking industry has slowly degraded over the years. I'll blame cell phones for that because when cell phones came out, truckers stopped talking to each other on the Stevie radio. When I can have a conversation with somebody that I like that's Four or five hours away on a cell phone. Why would I talk to this greasy guy in the truck next to me just because we're driving down the road together? That mentality shift made trucking very isolated. So now you are on your own. So instead of that community where you're almost you're out looking for
0: out for each other. Right now, yeah, now yeah. you're just individual. So
1: like when yeah. I got into trucking in '98, it was still very much a Knights of the Road mentality. We helped each other out. Like I can remember uh, my first breakdown. Uh, I was six months into driving. So just into that complacency stage where I didn't properly check my truck out Uh that morning before I left out and I had a bad alternator and I should have caught it. Well, I caught it on the top of a hill when the whole thing died. So, you know, get in there and and what it was is the belt had slacked. So I got in there and I adjusted the alternator, got the truck back up, got everything going where I thought it would work, but my batteries are dead. So I need help. I got just enough juice. Get on the CB. I'm in the middle of nowhere in Nevada. Hey, I just need somebody to give me a pull start, just get me going. matter I was there three minutes. I had two trucks pull up, hooked up chains, and had me going in minutes. You know, uh, and that years and years of that where you just be over there radio, oh, hey, you know, I've got you know, trucks out of antifreeze, anybody carrying it. Sure I got some and you know, that community, the camaraderie. And then over the double the O's, uh, cell phones become more prevalent, the C B got quieter. You know, and you'd call out for a radio check or you'd call out, hey, westbound, what'd you leave behind you? And nobody would answer. You know, and and when you're running through a strange state, let's say, you know, I'm driving through Pennsylvania. I'm used to being in Colorado where I can run 75, 80 miles an hour. And I hit you guys' beautiful wide open turnpike that's got you choked to 60 Mm-hmm. I want to know where every cop on this road is. <laughs> hey, my foot wants to do seventy-five, so you're talking to the other drivers on the radio. Well, if nobody's talking back, now you're running risks. Now you're like, man, uh, you're not as you're not as quick to to blur the rules. You know, it, it makes you uh, a little more conscious about what you're doing because you've got no help. You've got you know, and slowly over time, the trucking industry's just kept going that way.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: so. You have this very
0: important tool to, to check the, the weight of your tires. The tire thumpers,
1: and I make them from semi truck lug nuts. The M twenty two lug nut that's on the uh, that's on your uh, that holds the tire on the truck. Mm-hmm. I buy those nuts and then I separate them, and I have a plan for it because those those nuts come with a nut and a uh, lock washer that's kind of put together. Every one of those washers, I pop off. I'm just stacking them up because I want to make a chain out of them. You know, forge a chain and use those as the sublinks, mm-hmm. and then I'll forge out. I haven't figured out what I'm going to use for the middle piece, but I've never made a chain. Always wanted to try. You know, figured, you know, me—that'll be a challenge to keep around. Yeah, you know, maybe have a little fun, uh, do a hammer in at the shop, and do a chain gang or something. <laughs> you know, that will be kind of fun. Get a whole bunch of people out there. Probably get in trouble for say that. Uh, so, w- what else? What else do you? Uh so we've got the tire thumpers and uh i've spent a couple years on this i actually uh i make the uh, night vision goggle counterweights for the rdx1 helmet cover for mm-hmm. uh, that's sold through re factor tactical and uh that was my first mastery actually i have made ten thousand of those by hand um yes i did have help along the way i've had friends come in um uh actually that was one of my biggest talk about a gut check okay um it's three weeks after I've had a double hernia surgery. You know, I get myself a double hernia trying to carry anvils around my shop, um, which is what led me into bodybuilding and learning body physics. A hard line between hard. I mean, hard line. In case. Yeah, Thin line, line between. Yeah, uh, yeah. Being hard and stupid. Oh uh, yeah, I was very stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know. Um, and, and done in the classical sense in that I, I picked one up with my right hand and ripped the left side and then picked one up with my oh. left hand and ripped the right side and just, I didn't realize what I'd done at the time. Um, best thing that could have happened for me though because doing that surgery, doing that recovery really made me reset and refocus. So it's three weeks after my surgery, uh, our factor uh, wants their counterweights. I've got a thousand units to get made up and man, time's running out. I've only got like two weeks left to get this order done. So I call up a couple of buddies of mine. Uh, uh, my little buddy, Tim, who's been with me uh, for years. He, uh, he's been super supportive of the business. He's the one that helped me get my power hammer and uh, helped me get my coal iron works pressed too. Uh, love you, Tim. And then uh, uh, my buddy, uh, a Squid, uh, John, uh, he's like a brother to me. I called him up and I'm like, man, I'm in a pinch. I got to get this done. Can you guys help? And they came out, and in 12 hours, we knocked 900 units out. <laughs> and, wow. Um, all they would let me do was grind. They wouldn't let me, you know, I could run the press, or I could run the grinder. They wouldn't let me use my manual shear because I kept having to bend over and flex and pick it up. So, like, and every day I'd kept, because I really wanted to, because that's my favorite job. Like, I like running that shear. But, like, they're running the shear, and they're running, and just helping me, and, oh, my hurt oh my Lord, like I was in a, I was a praying man all day just trying to get through that because I'm, I'm standing there and I'm in pain, uh-huh. you know, and I can I'm, only imagine I'm on Percocet, so I shouldn't be around it, but I'm on like half <laughs> as much as I should be. Right. Yeah. There you go. There, there's yeah, a I'm, a, factor. I'm, yeah. I'm on like half as much as I should be. And I'm trying to grit through this and just get the job done. And we end up blasting it out. I think I ended up sleeping three days straight after that but just getting out there and getting it done, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was kind of, it was one of those moments. And then, you know, I think I was like 7,000 in at that point. And then there was a, there was another make it or break it day. So it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's March 4th. It's my daughter's birthday. And there was a bad blizzard the night before. And all I had to do was go in and make 150 units, 150 counterweights. That's all I had to do for this week. And I spent the first three hours breaking into my shop, because the door had frozen. <laughs> so there's a sliding door in the front of my shop, the snow the night before, and like my daughter's birthday parties that night, and all I gotta do is get in this shop and print out, like I've got four hours of work to do, I know I can do this. I spent three hours breaking into my own shop, I tore the, the bottom of the door off with an axe. Just chopping away at it, cut it all away. Got in there, got the work done, make it home to the birthday party, like half an hour to spare, spent the next three days building a new door. <laughs> yeah. But going through that process of making thousands of something mm-hmm. was such a character builder for me, especially when I got to 9,500 9, and figured out another better way. Every time I did it, I tweaked it. I uh, made it, and, and like this last time we did it, uh, the original press that I was making the counterweights on and shaping them on, was called cold forging. I was using a modified Harbor Freight uh, press, my shop press, dangerous is the best way to say it. The, uh, I now use it to press handles in, which it's safe to do that with, but I was overworking the crap out of this machine. So once we got the Coal Ironworks press in the shop, I spent a day and made a jig for it to be able to press these plates three at a time. So instead of pressing them one at a time, now that coal iron works is doing three at a time for me, you know, and just expediting that. But I was 9,500 units in when I found a new way to do it. (laughs) And that right there was like, wow, that's why 10,000. That's why you got to do something 10,000 times to be an expert at it, because you can almost be at 10,000 and still improve your process. Yeah. You know, and now I look at it and I'm like, so experts at 10,000, what's mastery at? <laughs> Is that like 20, 25, where, where, uh, where, a hundred, where, right? Where, hundred thousand. Yeah. Oh man. You know, but you know, and, and coming from that background of starting at Philmont yeah. and chewing through those 10 miles a day. And then my trucking career of just chewing through the miles, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. I take that into my forge work and we just keep going and we keep going. You know, right now I'm sitting at about a thousand axes and I'm guessing I'm, I'm, that's an educated guess because I didn't keep track. <laughs> like I know I made about 600 stock removal Rogers hatchets and I know I've forged, you know, I know I've sold so far about 400 axes, but I've actually made so many more that never got sold or I just gave to friends mm-hmm. or, you know, I've got hanging around. But, you know, I figure all told right now, I'm sitting, you know, hatchets and axes, I'm sitting around a thousand. So 9,000 more to go, you know, I want want that expert. Like, and it it really is, it's become mastering things has become a real, I don't know, uh, a passionate drive for me to get, get really good at this one thing, you know, and stay in that lane and stay focused on it, you know? So how do we tie all that together? Those tire thumps are actually the same handles that I use on the axes mm-hmm. and the tomahawks and those tire thumps also become pommels so like that Danax that just went out it had a tire thumper on the pommel of mm-hmm. it. oh I saw that yeah yeah. yeah so it, they all tie together um, I actually have it I, I brought it with me it's, uh, there's, a, there's a fun story behind that um, I brought my forging hammer my favorite forging hammer with me it's a custom made forging hammer it's my apprentice hammer it's my badge that says I am an apprentice this is what I'm capable of and it's about a three and a half pound hammer that's styled after a war hammer. The reason for it is, is because one of my dads um, totally discouraged blacksmithing. He didn't want me to have anything to do with it. And I told him that one day I would forge a hammer that I wouldn't have to say anything. I could just hand it to somebody and they would know, you know, that here, I don't have to explain it. I can just do it. So I carry that hammer around just in case I ever see him know but it's it's those little things that motivate because it's that uh, somebody's saying it couldn't be done you know and I'm gonna have a little fun here if I can because so I'm laying in I'm laying in the bed fresh out of my hernia surgery I'm scrolling through TikTok, and one of the things that really lit my fire is this kid named uh uh, I'm dropping names uh Hoffman Hoffman Blacksmithing this guy's good This kid's good. He's an Eagle Scout. He's got a good background. He's got a really supportive family. I mean, this guy's awesome. And he pops off and says, you can't make a living hammer in hand. And I went, what? You can't make a living hammer in hand. You'll just burn yourself out. Bet. (laughs) Bet. I'm going to prove you can do this. I'm going to figure it out. That Yes, you can. You can make a living hammer in hand. You can do it, and what I learned is that sure I could do it if I was 23. <laughs> sure, if I was younger, if I was starting out at 21, 22, I probably could. But me being at 44, you know what? The kid's got a point, because you do. You break your body down. You're constantly like um, coming up to the show. Mm-hmm. I was working almost every day, sweating off that fat content, and you just you exhaust yourself. You get to the wall. So without those machines to keep going. You know, so in the end, the kid was right. He's right in what he said. But my angst at what he said just kind of lit a fire because I'm like, B.S. I think it can be done because our ancestors did it. What makes it hard for us is how expensive life is now. You know, but just that challenge of, man, I don't believe you. I don't believe it can't be done. I just believe you can't do it. You know, you don't know my limitations. You don't know my drive. You don't know what I can do. You know, I don't let other people pour their limitations on me. So it just, it kind of lit that fire and it got me up out of that bed. It got me researching, you know, body mechanics, uh, how to work out, how to take care of yourself better. Immediately changed my diet, started eating better. Um, fruit, love fruit, strawberries, bananas, whatever. Get that natural, uh, good natural food in me. And it's, you know, you know, absolutely you can make a living, hammer in hand. You sh- pick a product, you stay in your lane, it can be done.
0: All right. And I think that's a great place to wrap this one up.
1: Yeah, I think this is good. Yeah. I really yeah. enjoyed this a lot. Mm.
0: No, great. Good. All right. Yeah. Well, Martin, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for helping us out with the Light Fighter. It would not have been the event that it was without you coming out here and thank without you, you, you know, your, your presence. And thanks for taking your time and telling us your story. Uh, for all of you, you know, out there listening, I... 100% endorse anything that that martin makes i literally have taken since i i found him every time i've deployed or any anytime i've done anything of of importance one of his tools his handmade tools has been with me and i see that for for the future i don't think i'll ever be without one of his tools um thank you guys for listening and you guys stay safe we'll talk to you next time the secret of steel has always carried with it a mystery You must learn its riddle, Conan. You must learn its discipline. For no one, no one in this world can you trust. Not men, not women, not beasts. This you can trust.